Dry martini. Oui, monsieur. Wait. Three measures of Gordon's, one of vodka, half a measure of quinoa lily. Shake it over rice and then add a thin slice of lemon peel. Yes, sir. I want to try and find something random to put at the end of each one. Of each one. Yeah. <laughs> ah. <laughs> I love them. I love them. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll just take a se- sequence of stuff we say on this show and just set it to music. <laughs> Isaac, what the fuck are you talking about? Oh my god, you're so wrong. Just read passages from the book <laughs> <laughs> to the same song. Of course. Okay. He wasn't infallible. While the mere mention of films such as Tomb Raider and A Kid in King Arthur's Court made him cringe. At the time, they had been necessary evils. He's charismatic, talented, and extremely sexy. His heartbreaking performance at the latest strange one won him legions of fans just to, like... <laughs> Smash Mouth All Star, yeah. <laughs> whatever so it is. So let's just do Spicks and Specs. <laughs> let's bring Spicks and Specs back, just in the context of this podcast. Yeah, this is a great quote, though. Quoting from the book, of course he wasn't infallible. While the mere mention of films such as Tomb Raider and A Kid in King Arthur's Court made him cringe, I love that she's bringing it back this late in the book. At the time, they had been necessary evils. I've done a lot of work to earn money because I've had to, because I need to pay the rent and I need to do those things. So they're not mistakes. It's just sometimes I wish they'd disappear. <laughs> I've been lucky enough that with some success, I've been able to make, I've been able to have more choices. So I think whenever we hit a bad film, we should say, you know, it's not a mistake. We just it's wish a, it would disappear. It's a stepping stone to yeah. correct choices. <laughs> well, I think we should have dropped the language of Daniel Craig and say it's not a mistake. This film should just disappear. We just wish it would disappear. Cool. I'm down with it. I've been thinking about introducing a. a segment called bond news bond news welcome back to bond news bond news bond news <laughs> bond news bond news bond news bond news are we singing too much on this episode no not at all bon news, it doesn't have to be a long theme song for each of the segments the theme song can be like three things i would like them all to be quite long i'd like to a minute 20 Minimum on all. I think you'll lose theme listenership tunes. if the theme tunes are too long. We'll lose uh, one patron. Christine won't listen to long theme tunes. I've I know this about Christine. Let's you know what we should She's do. She's not about long theme. We should tunes. do an audience focus group. <laughs> you meet Christine in a room, big table, but just her at the other end of it. We're like, okay, guys, thanks for what coming. What did you think of this bit? And to keep talking, and play eight minutes of music. <laughs> And keep talking like there's lots of people there. Like, thanks everyone for coming in. <laughs> help yourself to snacks. There's, underneath your chairs. <laughs> underneath all your chairs. You'll find a help pack. There's one word of a sentence. <laughs> uh, Christine's is Anne. Not <laughs> and, but Anne. <laughs> <laughs> so Bond news. Yep. Bond news. You know, something I realize we haven't something we haven't addressed so far. Craig Awards. 
new segment called Craig Awards. Craig, I can't sing a song straight for that. Um, no, we don't need to do okay, it. Okay, all right. All right. <laughs> Sometimes it's good to suppress creativity as well as foster it. But he <laughs> did. He was recognised by the British Independent Film Awards. Oh. And he was nominated for The Trench. Understandably. And he won for some voices. Nice. Yeah. Well, you know, Daniel Craig is going to be all over the British Independent Film Awards, given all the independent British films he made. Beefer. Yeah. Bofa. No Beefer. Bomber. Are you doing dwarf names? (laughs) I am now. Do you feel like Tolkien put zero effort into the dwarf names? I think because it's quite clear that he would have had this awesome world built up in his mind and he's like, I'll just write a children's book. So he just didn't give a shit about it and then built that in. This is a man who created multiple languages and we still to this day have to live with main characters called Keely and Feely. But I like to think that by the time he wrote that book, he'd already been thinking about the whole world for ages and be like, I'm never going to do this. I'll just put it into a children's novel. There's no way this will be turned into nine hours of cinematic (laughs) content. It's like, this is just, I need to put this down somewhere. The only explanation I can think of is he was literally telling the story to his kids off the top of his head. It's like, then 12 dwarves showed up. Shit. What were their names, Dad? Feely, Feely, Flooly, Blali, <laughs> Schming, Schmang, Oin, Groin. <laughs> yeah. <Can we, laughs> Loincloth. One of them is literally called Oin. <laughs> See, the name Thorin this sounds is man, like an actual name. This is a man who speaks multiple human languages <laughs> and several that he made up. And he called a character Oin. What is your opinion, Sam, on the learning of Elvish? What, by an adult human in by the modern day? By an adult day? human in the modern day. You need a really good reason. <laughs> like, if you love Tolkien, yeah, that's great. Yeah. But you what need- possible usage could someone have for knowing how to speak Elvish? I'm I'm fine with you learning Elvish, but don't make a big deal out of it. And <laughs> You don't- can't be like a vegan and tell everybody that you can yeah, speak Elvish. And don't bring it up unless it's really warranted <laughs> unless it's relevant and you need to like translate something that was translated incorrectly in a film yeah and, well actually and you just need to have an awareness of how fucking weird that is <laughs> like it's you, like people who speak klingon like, people are into different shit absolutely go for it <laughs> but yeah you should have a yeah it's a shame though because elvish is, is a, it's a cool language it's a cool sounding language yeah. as well you know why it's cool very similar to welsh is it? It's very akin to some of the Welsh languages and the sort of high, sort of fluted sounds. Lovely. So the Welsh are a strong and powerful people. I wonder how many Elvish cities have 38 letters in their name. I know, right? I went to a place in Wales called Larn. What? But how many letters were in the word Larn? Nine. <laughs> Not a word of a lie. That makes me happy. Yeah. So calm down, guys. It's crazy. You ever been to Wales? No. The Welsh language sort of movement is very strong. All the all the street signs are also are in Welsh. They there's have Welsh of, language news. There's a lot of Gaelic stuff in Ireland where they keep people mm. speaking Gaelic and a lot of a lot of primary schools teach kids it so that they keep the languages alive. Yeah. La- it's like sad to think about languages. There's something like the last person to speak a particular language dies on earth like once a week or something. Mm. And there's been a massive impoverishment in the amount of languages that exist just because we're not able to record a because they're becoming less useful because it's becoming so homogenized through yeah. 
international communication, just the spread of, I guess, English and French and other languages like that. And when we don't record them, they're gone. The people who speak them have disappeared. And it's not just as, you know, out of, out of, out of interest in language, but you can only think and express things that you have the words for. So with the loss of each language, we actually lose a particular variation in the ways that humans have understood and interpreted and experienced the world, you know? So that's kind of the point of 1984, where they try to restrict the words you have, and in that way restrict what you're able to think about, you know? Yeah. I always wished I'd learned another language. There's still time. Yeah, I know. A but lot of people have that as a hobby, and that's kind of a cool hobby to learn a language. Learning a real-life human language, that's a very cool yeah. hobby. But I wish I'd learned it when I had the neuroplasticity that would have made it much easier. To do so. Yeah. Like languages and musical instruments, you've got to hit that shit when you're like 10 or 11 and get it done. Because I... Like, it's kind of the one of the wankiest things you could say, that I that, to say that you love language. Yeah. <laughs> I love words, you I know? like knowing. I just love words. Things. But I, in a quite real sense, do love words. <laughs> but... I love the written words. To quote Robert Conquest, I think, maybe not, maybe someone else. Is that his quote? Because that's a great <laughs> quote. <laughs> Yeah, that's on that's on goodreads.com. <laughs> I think. I think. Was maybe it? not. Maybe. Someone you know else? what? <laughs> I wish I hadn't brought this up. Robert Conquest, 1932. <laughs> that was a guy who knew his limitations. You know, he wouldn't wade into a subject without thinking, oh, I don't know about this. No, it's the thing of <laughs> someone, if you only know one language, you don't even know that language. Yeah. Because it's only by knowing know another language and can you gain a perspective on the language you're speaking, you know? I like, we, we just speak English. We're like a fish in water. Like, yeah, we know water, but we have nothing to compare it to. We don't know what's good or bad about English. We're like, yeah, sure. This is just what talking is. When I send emails yeah. to people who... Well, you're a professional adultizer. This is what exactly. millennials do. To, to people who um, English is their second language... Very often do I reread my email to ensure that I haven't used like a colloquialism. Like, oh, yeah. In the final line of an email, it's usually, if there's anything else I can help with, please don't hesitate to let me know. Mm-hmm. I try not to write that for people who I know English is a second language. You say, please let me know. Or, yeah, just please let me know because mm. don't hesitate could be taken yeah. very wrong depending on where you come from. Just or like, it's, it's just going to be more arduous to figure out what exactly. you're saying. And you're like, what? what? And I, you, just, don't want to, you don't want to give that difficulty to somebody. Yeah. It's one of those weird things that I consider to be one of my, like, skills. It's like, I like to think I'm good at talking to someone. You've got whom, that international language. For whom English is a second language. Like, I like to think I'm quite good at figuring out what's hard to understand. But in realistic, rather than just talking realism, loud just and yelling pointing. at them. <laughs> like, well, that's what most people this do. This is the way. <laughs> yeah. Just louder doesn't <laughs> help. Like, just boil it down to... That's the international language. Yeah. I was in Nepal. I was listening to a guy trying to ask someone if they'd found his spork. And did he just slow down and yell? No, he just said, it's like a, it's like a spoon and a fork, but together. <laughs> and just looking at him like, dude, you are not helping. I cannot help you with this. <laughs> it's like a spork, you know. Like, the thing with that is... <laughs> But then also scoop, like make a fork motion, but then, <laughs> and then also like, like scoop. a plus sign, but also <laughs> scoop. like in that situation, you don't even need to say spork. Just ask for the lost property box. 
<laughs> which is much simpler English. Let us know, conquistadors, if we've ever gotten off track. Uh, but no, Bond news. You just said gonna... conquistadors, yeah. <laughs> not craigistadors. <laughs> We're not even saying the name right, despite not saying it at all. Let's think about that. On the Daniel Craig podcast... Not only did we get his age wrong by 10 years in the first episode. Just <laughs> Sorry, Daniel. We Sorry, don't Daniel. Say that again. I torture myself about that every day, but uh, we also said your name wrong. No, I remember that time I said Samuel Craig. <laughs> I said Samuel Craig once. That was fun. And I, and I almost called you podcast once. <laughs> Not almost. You called me podcast no, and then fixed no, it. No, I went. I, I didn't get the whole word podcast. I, I went podcast. And then I just took a moment because <laughs> I was like, I'm too tired. We should have stopped. But Bond News is what we were doing. Bond um, News. Bond News. So I have some Bond News, but it could be a at least quasi or potential No Time to Die spoiler. Then we don't need the Bond News. Okay. You may have spoiled a film for yourself. Well, I'm not, it, I mean, it's just people theorizing about right. the movie. It's Oof. not. It's nothing's confirmed, but if it's in the movie, you'd be like, "Well, oh, this would have been more surprised if I hadn't," because it hadn't occurred to me as an option. But people are very like, "There's debates occurring about it." It's a big part of the Bond conversation. Offspring. Yes. Yeah. You've already heard about it. No, I would just assume that's how you would go if someone. Oh, okay. Well, this isn't. So this isn't that much it. of a, a surprise to you. So there is a theory. There's uh, someone is there's like a five year old cast in the movie. It's five years since the last movie happened. People are theorizing that Bond has a daughter in this movie, and it's what, taken. What do you think about that? Obviously, a first, a big departure for the Bond mythos. Um, I think it would depend on how it is handled in the film and how she plays mm-hmm. a role as to what what it means for Bond. Like, you can still have your eponymous Bond hero as a father figure. Yeah. But you'd have to do it well. And I, f- I feel Daniel is the Bond to do it well. You definitely could. He has, uh, he has daughters in real life. The Bond to have settled down over five years and be drawn back into the world. Yeah. Or the Bond who has spent five years ignoring his fatherly responsibilities yeah. to still protect his queen and country. Well... It really sort of raises the question. To answer this, I think you need to answer the question of, well, what are they going to do with the next Bond? Because well, I all of the other the next Bond would always be younger. Like they'll just go. I'd always thought that back, back to start. But Robert Bondinson. The thing is, <laughs> all of the previous Bonds are, whilst obviously not technically potentially continuous, that's a Bond. And it's only with Casino Royale, with Daniel Craig, for the first it? time, they've made it. No, very explicitly, we're rebooting. This is a different person. Like, this is not... This is not like Timothy Dalton. This is not Pierce Brosnan. This is just... This is a potentially different dude. Yeah. So then the question is, okay, do we reboot again, which I would be fine with, or do we weirdly then try to do another continuity thing. Or, I think in this... Because if now we're going to reboot Bond every five movies, fine, but that is a, an additional decision to the decision to reboot him that first time. Well, I think in the world currently, rebooting is the only way to do Bond and still have people like Bond. Because if you yeah. like Daniel Craig as much as everyone should like Daniel Craig as Everyone Bond, should. 
you can't replace Daniel Craig as Bond. You have to have a different Bond. That's my feeling, yeah. So I, I think the smarter choice is to go young and start again. Yeah. Because that would give your actor mm. time to grow into the character as well and develop the character over several films. So then, in the, in the yeah, in that so case, that, so now we've just got Bond with a daughter for one movie and that plays out however it plays out and then the next movie we've got a new Bond. I think that's... I think that's a very valid way to do the film. If you're going to do any sort of as long as your film sort of finishes off Bond's, like gives him an arc to finish off the need to be Bond. I think if the film, what I want from the film is for Daniel Craig's Bond to have now spent five movies being Bond, and just finish his career. Mm. Which is something they've never done before, where we've kind of seen an entire life cycle with this Bond from. Rookie introduction to now uh, resolution, which makes sense because he's been in the role longer than any other actor. Because mm. he's the best Bond. Because he is in the. It's just it's just so difficult because I've engaged in a little bit of the Bond discourse. I know we're potentially like a minority opinion within Bond fans. People do not like Daniel Craig, but Bond. he's so good. He's our favourite. He's Britain's best actor, he's Daniel Britain's, Craig. He's Britain's best actor <laughs> and he's Britain's best Bond, in our opinion. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Okay. Who does everybody seem to agree? Is it Sean Connery? Please tell me it's not Sean Connery. I think lots of, lots of people love Sean Connery. Um, does it's, anyone it's like, what, like what's-his-face, the, the Australian guy? No. It's interesting. George Lazenby, that's his and name. I mean, we'll, and we'll get into this later with our more Bond-focused conversations. <laughs> But I think my second favourite is going to be Dalton. Timothy Dalton is great. Probably because he's the most similar to Daniel Craig. But everyone hates Timothy Dalton for the same reason they hate Daniel Craig, because they're too <laughs> similar. I think people's favourites are going to... I think it's it's it's, it's Connery, Moore, or Brosnan, and people's top three just shift between those, basically. I... And, 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 and to me, that just really communicates that the bulk of the James Bond... Uh, world fan base. and fan base is not who we are. We, no, we they are, came into this a lot before we Not did. only are we out on a limb in terms of doing a Daniel Craig podcast, <laughs> but we are out on a limb in the James Bond fandom. <laughs> we need to find the Daniel Craig fan. Well, there is a Daniel Craig fan. There are so many Instagram accounts. Dedicated to Daniel yeah, Craig. I follow a lot of them on our, through our Instagram. <laughs> Do fun. they follow us? A lot of them follow us, <laughs> but there is just always more. There's always more Bond Instagrams as well. Like, just like an endless... I thought It feels like that's that's a Tumblr thing. I thought I'd get on Instagram and, oh, I'll follow the Daniel Craig and James Bond accounts. But it's just an endless ocean of them. Like, <laughs> I just keep being suggested more. Well, I can't do all of them. This is insane. I'll never see anything that any one of them posts. And it's weird because I don't, they probably don't know we're doing this kind of as a bit. <laughs> so Are we, though, at this point? <laughs> It started as a bit, <laughs> and now it's becoming more and more complicated. It's part of part of life. I kind of I, I wouldn't want to hold on to it being a bit just as a sanity check because <laughs> I can't actually be someone who well unironically did a Daniel Craig podcast. I think we're quite safe on that fact because we haven't spent three years going line by line through a novel that somebody else wrote. Dude, are you throwing shade at my Exploring the Lord of the Rings podcast? A little bit. Because those dudes can get it. They are doing great work See, over there. but that's I not am, something we've done I'm listening with Daniel Craig. To, I'm li- listening to that show. You're legit listening. And I feel like I've read the book again. <laughs> I mean, only, So you've read 30 pages of the I've book. read the first four chapters. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I unironically respect what they're doing. I respect it. Exploring Lord I'm of the just Rings. I'm glad we Big haven't done out. that. Check it out, guys. No, we're not going line by line. We, oh, we should say this is Exceptional Thieves, by the way. It's a podcast where Isaac and I review and rewrite <laughs> movies. I'm Sam. I'm Isaac. And this is uh, episode, I think, 13? It will be 13 because we just did film 13, which was episode 12. Knowledge. Patreon of supporters. Craigslist. The <sighs> podcast where we're going through Daniel Craig's entire, film, entire filmography, movie by movie. Um, and it's been fun. It has been a lot of fun. There's been ups, there's been downs. There's been a lot of downs. There's been a couple of plateaus. there's also been some pretty good ups. Been some real good ups, and there's lots of ups to come. And I think think part of what it is, is that Daniel Craig has grown into himself. I don't doubt that at all. I think as a younger actor, very good, difficult to place. As he's gotten older, he's been easier to place for casting and things like that. I think it's also not typecasting because a lot no. of the stuff he does, even in good films that that we that we love and will love, yeah, they're very different roles, yeah. But they give him enough depth or enough space to be Daniel Craig in them. Yeah, and I have I have high hopes. I think it's like he's going to his fifties now. I think it could be his best decade. Mm-hmm. I think he could do his best work post Bond. He could, Who and knows? probably will. You know, as that sort of mature, mature guy. Captain Go Britain in Marvel Phase 5. You say that. I don't know anything about comics. Okay. But as I know from engaging with the Daniel Craig... Fan base. By the way, if you, if anyone writes a tweet that mentions Daniel Craig, I have responded to it. <laughs> <laughs> I am trawling... I just searched Daniel Craig, and then anyone who mentions him, like, yeah, I'm just respond. Anyway, um, I know sort of through that and other like Daniel Craig related conversations that what people pick him for is Doctor Fate. Doctor Fate as That's... a comic book character. Okay, but that that Isaac, no one knows who Doctor Fate is. Tell us in a hundred words or less. Doctor Fate is a DC character, so I am less inclined to know him and much about him. Because I've been a Marvel fan for a okay, long well, time. Okay, this is a real dead end of a conversation. Yeah, sorry about um, that. Doctor Fate is a magical character who wears a helmet. That's pretty much it. Well, sounds like Daniel like, Craig could pull that off. Well, he could. He could pull a lot of things off. Doctor Fate, I didn't really know was Britain until this point. Are they? Are they wanting Daniel? Are, are they wanting Daniel British. because of British? Who knows? Because like there are Marvel characters he could be as well. But I don't think Daniel would want to be about those comic book films. I. I can't imagine anything he would want to do less. I think it would depend also on how Battenson goes in becoming like a... Like Christopher Nolan's Batman was a very realistic Batman, but I think Battenson's yeah. bringing it even down further, I less fantastical. If if things are able to keep moving towards a Christopher Nolan-style... Joker-style... Gritty, realistic um, yeah. superhero movie, then you could get Daniel Craig involved. Like Yeah, something like Joker... Daniel Craig would be, but even a in. lot of he, like he's like he's not going to be in you know Captain Strange, Doctor Strange, Strange three. You know? No, he's, he's not, not going to be introduced into a Marvel film. He'll I, be either a lead character, the lead character of a very dramatic Marvel film, yeah, or a DC mm. film. I actually, yeah, I think obviously, definitely, in terms of movies, he's DC, not Marvel. See, I I, I like that he can also be fun. He can be fun, but he is not interested in having that kind of fun. I know. Just because, look. But he could be. See, Daniel, I know no, you're listening. Daniel, by this point. And thank you for pushing through to this point. 
and and we appreciate it. I know I love that you listen to us while you go to bed each night. I know it's gotten weird at some points. We're gonna try and hold that back. We have spoken about your naked body a few times. That's only because we keep seeing it. And, and that's more on you. Is that really our fault? It's more on you than us. So thanks. But also <laughs> So good on you, bruh. But also take it easy now and then. And Rachel. Good well, to see ya. <laughs> that is like the creepiest thing. <laughs> and Rachel, thanks for tuning in. <laughs> oh, and uh and Rachel. Well done. Congratulations. <laughs> Bravo. I'm very excited to watch the film on which they met. Me too. My dad watched it the other night and really didn't like it. Oh. So I'm I'm worried. I'm not well see, like a lot of awesome couples who you see a lot of famous couples be be good meet on terrible films. Like Ryan Reynolds, yeah. who I think is a fantastic human. He is, isn't he? He is. He met Blake Lively when they did Green Lantern together. Imagine doing Green Lantern with somebody and being like, that's the one. But as we now know, he didn't because the continuity has been changed. And we're in a different timeline. <laughs> we're now in the Deadpool timeline. So don't worry He's about it. Sure, there's that ride at Movie World, but don't worry about it, mate. <laughs> Today, we are talking about Enduring Love 2004. I will say... For any eagle-eyed listeners, eagle-eared, we have skipped over Sylvia, which is, we said was going to be the movie about Sylvia Plath and Ted Hughes. It was on Google Play, and then it wasn't. So there's a DVD in the mail, and we're going to have to do that one out of sequence again <laughs> as well. So we're, we now have two movies out of sequence that we're still waiting on DVDs of. We're waiting on 10 minutes, colon, the cello. We were all very excited about that. Are we? And Sylvia. <laughs> I find it very strange that you cannot get Sylvia anywhere. I thought I thought it'd it's be like somewhere Gw- like JB. Yeah, it's Gwyneth Paltrow. Yeah. You know? It's about Sylvia Plath. It's Daniel Craig. Like, why is that not on anything? Anyway. Can you get Enduring Love in places? Well, you can get it on Google Play. That's where I saw well, it. Well, I watched it on YouTube. Oh, really? On YouTube movies. That's oh. a thing. Well, good for you. Thanks. Yeah, Enduring Love is around. Mm. And weird. I noticed in my research of the film, it was rated like 460-something on Empire Magazine's top 500 films ever made. This is in the top fi- just in the top 500 movies ever made. But picture that. There's a lot of movies in the world, and this was included yeah, by a movie of, magazine. Like, uh, what, is, what would there be? 100,000? 200,000? Films. Yeah. Ever made? Yeah. No, there's got to be way more than that. 500,000? I don't think it's a million. Yeah, there's more than a million. There couldn't be more than a million. I could Google. I'll Google it. I've You've got, got a, a typing machine that you I can, can type, type with more than one finger. How many films have ever been made? It will be way over a million. Okay, it's hard to say. But the data I do have says that as of 2012, mm-hmm. there were an estimated 500,000 movies in existence. Badass. Double that. So we could have doubled it in 10 years. A lot of people make I d- films. I don't think we'd have quite doubled it. So I reckon we're at seven or eight hundred, seven or 800,000 now. Yeah, we'll yeah. give it. 
film. That's right. still a lot of movies. You know, and is, in the top 500 it of is, those. It's very impressive to be in the top 500 as per Empire Magazine. <laughs> and that is Enduring Love. Which 2004. Is Daniel 2004. Craig. 2004. Also starring? Samantha Morton. Bam. Amazing cast for this movie. Great. Such a big cast too. Like everyone yeah. in it is like, bam, I've seen you. Bam, yeah. oh, you're from that. A big oh, Bill cast, Nye's in the film. A big cast Twice. for a movie which still has a small cast, as in could be a play. Definitely it has could that be kind, a play. As in there's no like bartender characters. It's all like everyone who talks is a main character. You've got Daniel Craig, Reese Ephens. Ephens? Ephans, I think it's. Yeah. Uh, Samantha Morton, Bill Nye, Susan Lynch, who I know, I'm sure would prefer to be known for other stuff, but I always just know her from a few episodes of Cracker. Is that, TV show. is that the wife of of the man, man who dies? Uh, no, she's um, she's like part of a murder duo. No, in this. Oh, in this? She's the, no, she's the wife of uh, Bill Nye. Oh, okay. Um, Who's the wife of the man who dies? Cause Helen McCrory. What's she out of? Because she was she's so familiar. She's from Hotel Splendid and Peaky Blinders. So we've got a few returns to Daniel Craig's filmography. We've got Helen McCrory from her, uh, Hotel Splendid and... Fucking Ben Whishaw <laughs> is in this movie in a really weird overacted cameo. So Ben Wish Ben Whishaw's first ever movie was The Trench, starring Daniel Craig. He's in this with Daniel Craig, and then he's Q in the James Bond movies. It's awesome. That's cool. Oh, Grant, Rick Grimes is in it too. Andrew Lincoln fucking shows up Damn. as well as the other great cameo. You know, watching Andrew Lincoln in this movie really made me realize just what an opportunity cost. The Walking Dead represents. Just think of all the great acting Andrew Lincoln could have been doing post season three, generously of The Walking Dead. <laughs> Maybe See, four. Knowing you for a long time, Sam, there was a long period of time where you loved The Walking Dead. I did love it. Oh, look, I will defend. I would defend the first four seasons of Walking Dead. I would defend the first one season of Walking Dead. It, but. Three and four are better than two. Very much. Okay. but the, And then all of its flaws got worse and worse and worse. And But Andrew Lincoln, brilliant guy. And he's, and it's, it's he's weird because actor. his entire career is just in the absolute depths of uh, like cool Britannia, Notting Hill style, British, Richard Courtesy movies and TV. Like he's the star of te- like Teachers and something else. What's that other really... Well known. Life on Mars. Uh, no, this this life. It's called. Okay. Um, in like the nineties and early two thousands, like he's just a quintessentially British actor, and then he becomes this southern, you know, like. And he's very good at it. And he's very good, mm. but then what it is around him just it's ba- he basically gets deteriorates in beyond that. recognition. And I just feel sorry for him. Like, sure, you're making millions of dollars, but he quit that show eventually because he's like, I should probably spend at least some time with my children. I'm like, you should have been doing that five years ago, at <laughs> least. Anyway. We're not talking about... Great cast in Enduring Love. Now, this is a, the second part of our Roger Michel double bill. Bam. And... The last time we watched... Last week we watched... What was that film called? The Mother. The Mother. We watched The Mother with the same director. So this is the first... A directorial return for Daniel Craig. And Very Daniel- different film. Very different than The Mother. Uh, yes. Similar in tone, kind of. Like, kind of similar in tone, but I think... In a very sort of abstract This way. film, overall, is just 
more technical in a lot of what it does photographically. Photographically? <laughs> I know what Cinema- you're saying. Cinematically. Ah, language. Cin- we are lovers of words. Cinematographically? In terms of its cinematography? Yeah. Yeah. Does some beautiful, beautiful shots. Cinematography. Same cinematographer as Thor. Bam. So Take that. Kenneth all, Branagh. We've scooped him up. We've been blaming Kenneth Branagh. I think it's the cinematographer to blame for all those Dutch angles in the first Thor. <laughs> Camera's never never straight. <laughs> um, and Daniel Craig had a... he lo- Like the mother, he loved doing that, according to the biography. Okay. He loved working with the director. So basically, whatever Roger Michel wanted to do next... Daniel was like, on was board. Like, yes, I will do another film with this director. Whatever you want to do, mate. And... Roger Michel called up and he said, have you read Enduring Love by Ian McEwan? And Daniel Craig said yes, because of course he had, because it's an Ian McEwan novel and it's the late and it's the early 2000s. And he said, right, don't read it again. We're working on the script. And <laughs> Daniel was like, yep, brilliant. How much did they change? Um, there's quite... 90%. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, well, there's a few things to say. First of all, let's start off with this. Oh. I guess, rounding out this conversation, same screenwriter as Joe Penhall. Well, the screenwriter is Joe Penhall, same screenwriter as The Trench. With Ben Whishaw. Also starring Ben Whishaw, the the guy who also went on to create Mindhunter, one of my favorite shows of the last few Ah. years. I realized, you know what's so nice about Mindhunter? Like, even though it's about horrible things, it feels comfortable to hang out in. Mm. There's cops in it, and they're the good guys. It is pretty nice to feel that way. And that never happens in the real world or television. One of my favorite parts about Mindhunter is, like, well, the performances of the people they hire to play said serial killers. Mm. And, like... Who all look exactly, exactly like, like serial them. killers. But so, the one... Oh, it's That one guy's made a whole career out of being Charles Manson. <laughs> With that and Once so Upon a Time in Hollywood. Good. Yeah. And just, I think... That's part but of does that mean Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is just in the Mindhunter universe? I'd like to think it is. Yeah, cool. That they <laughs> are people who, and their and their boss of the FBI is also like not evil. Mm. And it's just like not corrupted. the yeah. simple thing to do to make people corrupt and evil in those institutional positions. And it's nice to think, well, maybe... No, s- in maybe, the real world, they don't have to be well, evil. It's like maybe sometimes they weren't. <laughs> I'm sure they are a bunch, but maybe sometimes it's okay. <laughs> like just by luck. To be the good guy. Every so often. Imagine getting into the... a job where you can protect people. Yeah. And protecting people. And like the three of them, the two guys and the woman, they, they're they all good mm. and they all find each other, you know, <laughs> and they all work together. And it's like, oh, Ooh, and then there's this the, feels nice. And the other detective who applies to work for them, and then he's working down in Georgia and they go down to solve that case. He's good as well. And he found, <laughs> and like, oh, all these like well-meaning, smart people have come together to try to like get rid of serial killers. And like, oh, I mean, like. And like, it's a horrific show, but it's like. But, oh, it's just such a, compared to what most of normal life and TV is. Yeah. Oh, this is a really benign space to encounter because yeah they're serial killers but there's also these maybe people. that's why the show is so popular even though its subtext is even good people have the capacity to be serial killers because that's kind of what's ostensibly going on psychodynamically with with um old mate from hamilton and glee yeah. what's but his name jesse something no that's his character's name in glee i think 
We don't need to know, but we know who we're talking about. We know who we're talking about. So I'll cut this out. Hayden Christensen. <laughs> Isn't it weird how he was in those and then we're like, oh, you're not good at at all and then he just disappeared see i think he has the ability to be a good actor but no he one... hasn't had that rotten robert pattinson chance yet and he robert probably won't pattinson get it has had more chances did you see the trailer this anyone morning deserves for um waiting for the barbarians no it's a robert pattinson johnny depp film set in the late 1800s i think okay and it looks fantastic wow okay I also I love, haven't seen The Lighthouse yet. No, true. I should. I do need to see that. Robert Pattinson is good in very specific contexts for me. I love him in The Rover. I'll say that. No wonder we couldn't think of the guy from Mindhunter's name. It's Jonathan Groth. That's it. He was on Broadway when I was talk about Europe words was. that slip out of your mind. Groth. Groth. You can't. I can't remember that. Groth. It's Man. like an. Ugh, it's like an optical illusion. Ugh, he's no Daniel Craig. Did you like the movie Enduring Love? Yes. Good. Did you also like the movie Enduring Love? Yes. I will start this off by saying I could go the rest of my life without hearing Risa fans say the word Joe again. Oh, fuck off, Risa fans. <laughs> it just... Like, more than a thousand times he says the word Joe in this film. Mm-hmm. So, spoilers for Enduring Love. But Daniel Craig's character is named Joe, and Risa fans fucking says that word. Yeah, fucking much. Yeah, and it's yeah, intentionally weird. So I, I, as I started watching this, like I put it on, I was like, okay, I thought it was going to be so different. I, as it started, I realized I'd read the book. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I had no recollection of the name or anything because I, lo- one of my favorite novels is On Chesil Beach by Ian McEwan. Okay, and. Brilliant. So I was like, oh, let's read more of this guy. And I haven't found another one of his novels that I'd liked. You didn't like this I've read, novel? I've read a few. I've read th- I read this. I read Amsterdam and maybe something else as well. What? And I was like, oh, these these aren't capturing me in the same way. Are they way. all thriller? Uh, no, no. On, on Amsterdam is, I guess if you made a movie of it, thriller-esque. But to be honest, the thriller aspects of this... Well, less so in the movie, but more in the book. I'm like, this is what this is why people don't read novels, bro. Because <laughs> what what are you doing? Like, they, we don't. That's one of that's my favorite parts don't... about the film, though, is that you can call it a thriller. To be, but yeah, I. It's not the 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 balloon bit at the start. Uh, brilliant book and movie. But I would, I think the movie is better than the book. Oh, really? I mean, it was a while ago I read the book, but it left no impact on me, and I don't have it here. Like I gave it away. I was like, I do not need to keep this. Yeah. And I'm a big book keeper. Yes. Um, but this, I think, uh, accessed something a little bit. It accessed it more sort of directly. Um, differences I noticed are in the book. Um, Daniel Craig's character Joe is a science journalist. Okay. Whereas in the movie, he's sort of a humanities lecturer. Yeah, but he's published. He's, he's published a book, but it's mm. but it's not sort of science specific. So in the book, the conflict is more directly sort of like art versus science. So it's a little bit less subtle, I would say. Whereas I think okay. in the movie, it's a little bit more complex. And the ending is different. Um, so spoilers. Watch Enduring Love. 
We'll get we'll get to the ending. We don't need to spoil it right away. Okay, so I'll tell you what's different in the book when we get to that. Yeah. But watch this, I would say. I would definitely say watch this. If you can. If it's your kind it's, of thing. It is not bad. If you like British independent movies of this era that are sort of sort of thoughtful mm. and thriller-ish, absolutely. Like and I think I love, it has big flaws. I, it, there's big there's big problems with it, but I think it so many aspects of it are so really well accomplished. Mm. And what it's trying to do is so good. Um that and I think I think it does it I think maybe the movie does it in a more sort of streamlined way than the book where there's not enough you, to it to justify to the, the whole novel too quickly but in the movie I was I was like yes I the the thoughtfulness of the way it's shot is it sort of serves the the themes of the whole thing one thing I lo- loved about the film is that it subverts the need to be the murder thriller but it still has that aspect in it where you have your mm. essentially villain just there, but you don't yeah. get to see from his point of view at all. When you have like a murder thriller, or mm. you have that character, you have you get to know your hero characters, yeah. but they also make you know why this other person is doing what they're doing. Yeah, that was one of my favorite parts about this film, is that you don't know why he's does. He's just that's the way he is. Well, yeah, well, you sort of you realize your inner thriller two-thirds of the way through it. Mm. You're like, oh, shit, I didn't realize, which I guess is kind of putting I think that's the, in that's the point in Daniel it. Craig's position, where you're like, mm. oh, you suddenly realize the situation you're in. With the exception of maybe some voices, Is this is the almost the first movie where Daniel Craig is just the main character. Yep. With the exception of some TV movies that we haven't seen yet, of his theatrically released movies, some but some voices is still very much a two-hander with him and Kelly McDonald. Very much so. Even but he is the first character introduced, he, so he would be lead building. He, billing. he just tilts above her. But, but I think this is the first this, leading man role he gets. He's the leading man and he is head and shoulders above any other character. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of his first Daniel Craig movie. Yeah. And like all he the, does good. He does great. He does It's good. funny because so many of the other movies we've watched, Daniel Craig is really big like on the DVD and everything. But that's just been done post hoc after he's gotten famous <laughs> to try to backsell these movies that Daniel Craig is technically in. <laughs> Whereas this, like, no, he's who it's about. So I, that was fun. That it was fun. fun. I enjoyed watching it. So the, begin- the opening sequence of this movie, I could watch all day. I I could I love watch so much about it, and I could talk about it for hours. I could I think it could have been handled a little bit different to make it seem more, um, not. It's hard make it seem like it actually more intense, like something would terrible was going to happen. I think they filmed it, and the way it's portrayed is very nonchalant and matter-of-factly like this is just happening this is the thing is crashing sliding along they don't show mm. the emotion of the kid getting scared to get out of the basket at all he's just not doing it there's See, no yeah. um in that like if you were if if you would if the film was a hollywood film they would have gone to more character emotions at that point not just everyone reacting and just yeah. jumping to action i loved it but yeah. it could have been done to make you connect more with each of the people at that at, the, at yeah. the moment I think I liked how not Hollywood it was. I kind of liked the matter-of-fact nature about it. Of the whole it film. made it feel more real. Mm. Like if you were there, 
you wouldn't get that Hollywood perspective. You'd get this weird. There wouldn't be music. There would be quiet. Silent, you would just run. Fragmented, confusing experience, and mm. that's what it is to watch it. So you won't know what this guy is doing next to you. Mm. You're just gra- you're just trying to hold on yeah. and do something. You're watching, there's no communication. There's no communication. Mm. No one takes charge. So we should say for people who haven't seen it. So Daniel Craig and Samantha Morton are um, on a picnic in the English countryside. They are in a beautiful. English countryside field. Like, it's it clear is... that he's planning to propose. Well, I didn't get that from the scene. To be well, he pulled out you. the wine. He and confesses he said... it later on, and then you're like, oh, yeah, obviously. But he I, said I didn't want I'd to do forgotten it. that from the book, and I didn't remember it watching okay. the scene. It... And it's got a very sort of... Uh, the shot, there are all these wide shots, them in the middle. It's silent. There's just like a bit of bird song. It's a perfect day. It's a perfect scene. Mm. It's very sort of Garden of Eden feeling. Yeah. With this man and woman in the middle of it. And then it's, you know, like sin and destruction comes into a frame. It's so it's really well done too, that the yeah. that the 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 balloon comes into frame behind him while he's yeah. talking to her and trying to get the words across and so, she just watches yeah. it. So what's happening is there's a hot air balloon going on and there's a granddad and his son and it's all gone horribly wrong. They've lost control of the balloon and it's it it blows into the field and the so the kid is in the basket and the grand the grand has been like pulled along like it's clearly a horrifying dangerous situation and yeah the fact that they give there's no foreshadowing no. you don't know it's coming at all there's just what should be a normal shot of daniel craig with the wine and then just this bright red of the balloon surges into frame behind him it's so and it's good. just it just captures what it's doing thematically which is <laughs> there's a world that we understand that we think we're navigating in a in a in a comprehensible way and then something massive strange and inexplicable just blows into it and destroys <laughs> everything like the the cinematography of it is very well is done. depicting not just the event but what it means at the same time that's mm. what i really loved about it uh, so immediately daniel craig stands up and about four other dudes who were apparently around the field all run in to help yeah there's like a guy who looked like he was working nearby someone's driving by they jump out of their car mm. and reese Evans who's there for whatever reason and they all run over and they're all grabbing the basket, trying to get the kid out. They're weighing it down. The granddad is yelling them instructions, but no one can hear it because the basket and the, the the wicker of the basket is very loud. The ta- and it would be. Yeah. The, the 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 this movie uses the sort of like tactile sound. There is so much in this yeah. film. It's got yeah. You it's know? got a very um sort of <laughs> what you might call like a like a phenomenological sensibility to it where there's as like after this event where daniel craig is sort of having this crisis there's a sort of existential sort of horror at the world around him where like things feel too real and weird and Mm. just the texture and the color and the sound of things start to be threatening and ominous even though they should just feel normal Normal. i loved all of that And, and that's very present in this scene there's no music it's just like breath sounds and running and yeah, the crunch of the wicker. And I can't imagine anything more difficult to film than a protracted hot air balloon kind of crash. Right. Like how they must've just been done pulling the balloon in the basket, pulling just the basket along Mm, and then done a bunch of wide shots of the balloon kind of collapsing. And then not like a hot air balloon is just the most difficult thing to, to film, to crash intentionally over in the right direction yeah you have to have wind going the correct way so that's just so it's so well accomplished 
and they near and they're they, they're they about to it. get the kid out, and a gust of wind comes yeah. through the trees, and, and you, see, just... you see Daniel Craig realize that wind is coming, mm. and you see just the trees rustle a little bit, and then it picks the balloon up, and it's just it's and, just like the hand of God comes in comes at in. that point, and like and, no. Fuck yeah. Lifts and, the balloon. And the balloon takes and off. And they all start to rise a little bit when four of the men let go. Yeah. And fall to the ground. Because they realize they're going to go up and up and up. One man holds onto the rope and goes up. We don't hear a word from him. No one says anything. They all land. They're not like, oh my God, no one's freaking out. They're just watching in sort of stale horror at this. as this balloon in, flies away and this is when like it's it's granted more power by the beauty of the scene mm. that it's such a beautiful day in a beautiful landscape but this you're watching is happening this person hang by a rope from this hot air balloon and the person when you get it they are a couple of shots from the boy's perspective up in the basket down on the man hanging from the rope mm. it's not shown to see he's struggling he's just holding on yep he doesn't say anything and then he, he just slips you watch him fall and you watch him fall a long way towards the ground then it cuts away just before he would have hit the ground yeah like i as you know i take a lot of notes watching these movies partly because i just want to record what happens in them so i remember it <laughs> and i didn't write anything down throughout. as soon as it started and i remembered what it was from the book like yeah. faintly it's like oh yeah I was like, oh no and then i just i just sat there like transfixed by it's that scene such a well done scene like that and what's great is that that's a brilliant just like short film definitely you just cut that off there talk about that for hours yep and then it comes back to daniel craig and the group it's and it starts into cutting between a dinner at bill nye's house either that day or sometime soon that's the only real scene i didn't like dialogue in okay was some of the things that daniel craig said and like just shifts you got used to it later on when he shifts the conversation every now and then because you can see that it's affecting the character so much that he can't as in he was he gets like distracted he's kind of easily. laughing about it for a minute and a little bit and then he gets real i felt like yeah i thought like that was uncomfortable but i feel like i could sense him and samantha morden who's his partner trying to figure out how to feel, feel about, about this mm. can we joke about this should this be devastating because someone has died they didn't know them at all no they were doing something, you know, trying to save this person. Um, the boy is be... fine, by the way. He landed about five k's away. And that's what's so terrible. The boy figures out how to land the hot air balloon, so the doctor could, so the guy on the rope could have just let go. Yeah, and he would have been fine. So they intercut uh, him and Reese Ifans. Ifans. We have Ifans. to figure. Just it... Reese. It's Ifans. Really? Yeah. Have you heard who said that? Him. Oh, okay. I and other that, people on the documentary um commentary on the amazing spider-man 2012 <laughs> what a diverse career for that guy <laughs> notting hill also by roger Still michelle the same sort of character in most of the films Re- my my favorite one is the boat that rocked for reese great film got that hat with a big feather <laughs> reese and daniel at the same drama school at the same time oh were they friends not really damn kind of ships in the night but they were both there okay so that's kind of cool wonder if they hated each other, but they just don't talk about it now. No, they, there seemed to be a lot of chemistry between them in the interview I watched. Okay, cool. Reese and Daniel go off to find the body. Yeah. Because they say, which isn't insane, they, he could still be alive. He could. We don't know what happened. Weird shit. We, we have don't know to, where he landed. We have to at least go and find yeah. him. Yeah. And they go and find him. And I thought this was a really interesting choice, that they construct 
a really horrifyingly gruesome very corpse. realistic corpse and i'm pretty sure this is in the book where the body is sitting up yeah and he's sort of landed on his pelvis and just like accordioned in on himself yeah and they show you that and like that would have been hard to make that would have been i think they've buried half of the man and then added the stuff because an impressive is real prosthetic around him mm. and that's just a really interesting choice to really sort of sink home it's also how traumatic this would have been very well shot that the first shot you see of the dude in the in the field is him sitting up so you're like, you're oh, like oh they oh. found him he's okay no no just landed weird it's fucked up it's really fucked up like, that would really stay with you and my kind of my and we'll get to this. My, like, I love this movie, but my problem with it is I reflect back on that. I'm like, yeah, that was really fucked up. But that's not the problem later in the movie. Yes, that's the problem not the thing is that affects other him. shit. Yeah. So that's, anyway. Yeah, I, I was like, hoping I, for like a little, like a couple of like just flashes of him seeing this visceral. Yeah. And like, like that's the, also what's affecting him. The red of the blood and the red of the balloon yeah. sort of being a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like the, op- yeah. the opening 15, 20 minutes of this movie. As I said, is a really powerful short movie, and it's a little bit disconnected from the other good movie that I happens after it. The opening fifteen twenty, and then the following ten minutes of him first being affected by that—that's where it comes in. But then it sort of like leaves it a little bit and goes in a different direction. Yeah, where Reese turns out to be a weirdo. Boy, does he, Joe, him, Jojo, him, oh, Joe. Joe. What the fuck? Daniel and Reese find, so find the body, and they're sort of telling Bill Nye and his wife about it, and um, and so Reese asks says, them to pray. Should we should we pray about it? And Daniel's like, "Well, definitely not, but sure, I guess if that's what you want to do." And they um, kneel down to pray. Yeah, and Daniel is is already his character is being conflicted because he's thinking, if we'd all held on, you could have stopped the we balloon. We might have brought the balloon down, but someone let go first, and as soon as someone lets go, then Everyone else is going to let go. You're, yeah. Yeah. And I just think this... this. But also Daniel is so buff, he could have just climbed into the balloon. He, he should have he just torn the balloon to shreds with Ooh. his own bare hands. Um, and so this, the, like the movie is about this sort of traumatic event precipitating an existential crisis for Daniel Craig. And I think this whole balloon scene, it's powerful because like they basically find themselves in a trolley problem uh, and it's very sort of devoid because it's a it's a horrifying thing but it's devoid of all the things that we normally use to give horrifying things meaning yeah like like there's no villain there's no that... villain there's no like history or politics or beliefs or values at yeah. play in this it's, it's just, just the wind and an accident it's just the countryside and the wind and a balloon and then someone who didn't need to die died horribly Mm -hmm. and so and i and at the beginning of the movie i feel like the problem here is how do we make meaning out of this situation and i feel as though they do that quite well for the first little bit and then after they've started to introduce the complication for the film once they could they've developed they've developed that daniel craig is affected by this because he doesn't know who mm. let go first, and he wants to know that because he's worried that it was him who let go first. Yeah. Which he also feels that guilt for then. Mm. If he hadn't let go, maybe the doctor, the whatever that guy, he was a doctor. Yeah. Maybe the doctor was would a still GP be alive. from Oxford. Bam. Um, 
it's just I don't know how to talk about it. Yeah. Well, I think to be I again like my, my problems with this like my problems with it none of them occurred to me when I was watching it and then it's only on reflection I'm like oh maybe this but my problems with it long. are I think there's stuff kind of left on the table like that that balloon scene is so powerful there's like there's a film in that but the film isn't really about it because there's the themes of like there's a, like really the, the, the theme there is cowardice oh yeah were you cowardly to let go and what does that what did you learn about yourself where suddenly you're put into the crucible of this situation? And what did everyone learn about themselves? There's a group of them that grab the balloon. Like the film Crash. Crash. Where you get to see everyone's point of view of the same yeah. horrific thing happening. Do you know the movie Force Majeure? No. Or there was a recent American remake of it with... Vantage Point? Uh... With no, Quaid. I know Vantage Point. Force Majeure is kind of like a black comedy kind of thing, but it's about um, this family is at a ski resort. Yeah. And I think the original, it's European of some kind. I can't remember. I think they're in the the Netherlands somewhere. And uh, so it's in there in like a, you know. Oh, that's Vantage. the Will Ferrell one where that's the, the avalanche yeah. comes. The and, avalanche yeah. comes and it looks like it's going to wipe out the where they're sitting and the dad just belts out of there and leaves the family and it's not going to hit them it's just like thin snow mist and the whole movie is about you fucking left Left us us. it's like it's funny but also dark and very real he left us yeah he left us and so the and like that theme of what i'm gonna do like yeah like the theme of um cowardice i think is something that could have been used more in this the problem should i think the problem of the movie should be how do we make meaning out of this crazy thing that happens? But instead, the meaning, the problem of the movie is, how do we get Reese... Ifans. Ifans to fuck off and stop yep. being so mad? That's the... And, so mad! Which is a great problem for a movie, but just different to the balloon problem. I think if there was... I think part of the problem of the film is that it's too long. A little bit. It's... Like, I, I don't... Not much. What is it? A hundred minutes? It's a. It feels. You could shave a bit off it. I feel. It feels like they spent too much time on the Risa fans thing and not enough time on the crash affecting Daniel Craig. I think the problem with that is that I. I as and don't want to repeat myself. I feel like the Risa fans thing is just different to the balloon thing. Yeah. Like they're two different movies. And I think but the balloon thing is the thing the that pro- connects. And them. I prefer the balloon thing overall. <laughs> but so after the so after the balloon thing, so Daniel DC gives he's giving a lecture. He works at a university, and he's talking about meaning and all these and how and how sort of the theory that everything we do and what we construe as morality is sort of an expression of evolutionary expediency yeah and it's all science and he's explaining that to ben wishaw who decides to even though i'm only in this movie for five seconds i'm gonna have like a tick and a sort of like tourette style <laughs> like movement disorder which not invalid in and of itself but just a lot to do for a character who's not a character in the movie like when he <laughs> well, was doing like that three times he's in it twice i'm pretty sure and when he does that i was like okay but then they walk past each other i was like you're clearly going to be in this movie because you're doing all this acting and then he's not (laughs) what are you doing ben's like i'm gonna be a proper actor i'm gonna was he a bigger character in the book perhaps and he had that tick in the book perhaps so he's been portrayed very realistically yeah yeah i'm only on screen for 120 seconds but i'm gonna make that i'm gonna do so much acting i'm gonna be cute because of this 
And <laughs> I kind of got the sense that from that, DC's character is someone who's who, in his theorizing as a university professor, would be able has, to deal with this tragedy really easily. Well, it seemed to be like his theories. I got the sense that his theories about the world have always been that there is the things only mean the meaning we give to them. Yeah, I didn't get the sense that that was what he was thinking in response to the balloon. I got the sense no. it did feel like he was teaching a class that yeah. he'd been working on for several months before now. Because I got the sense that that was also the content of his book that he's put out. Yeah, that. There is no meaning what we might make for ourselves. Things don't have inherent meaning. And that's the ultimate conflict between him and Risa fans, where Daniel Craig's character sees no meaning in anything, but now that's being really challenged by this balloon incident where he feels a need for meaning. And Risa fans' character, who's mad and a stalker, he sees meaning in everything. He sees meaning in too much. So when Daniel Craig touches his curtains, he thinks he's talking to him. So he has a pathological degree of meaning-finding. Whereas Daniel Craig has none at all, and that's sort of there. And that puts up Daniel Craig's not feeling meaning is also also a little bit of a thing that adds to the strain of his relationship with Claire. Yeah, and lovely to have Samantha Morton in this. Can I just say as well? Yeah, she's brilliant. She is. Everyone they're, in the film is brilliant. I think that they're about they're like seven years different, which I think is an interesting okay. an interesting element to that. I, I, it's just nice to see her in this being kind of like a leading lady, where I feel like she's gone sort of typecast as sort of edgier more mad character sort of she's got that sort of mary queen of scots vibe all the time that's kind of the perception i've got and she's like a brilliant actor obviously in everything she does but in this oh no you're just a person who's in like a regular pretty regular relationship i would like to see more of you in in this Mm -hmm. um what's the one about the guy from yeah come on I can't even think of the band he was in. It's a, it's the real, it's the story of the guy from Bohemian Rhapsody. There's a light that never goes out. The, the Smiths, the guy from the Smiths, Control, the movie Control. Not seen it. Bleak as hell. Really? Well, yeah, it's about the Smiths. Is it the Smiths? Oh, am I getting that completely wrong? <laughs> it's not the Smiths. <laughs> Who is it? It's Joy Division. Yeah, that's not the Smiths. That's different, man. Mm. Sorry, everyone. It's a good film. Cut it out. We can cut that bit out. Yeah, we we'll didn't make that, that mistake. We're gonna make it clean though. And we also need to make sure people notice that I made a Jurassic Park reference earlier. But when was that? That's why I said he left us twice. And then Sam Neill says that's not what I'm gonna do. Who left who twice? Exactly. It's a Jurassic Park reference. Okay. She's really great in that movie about <laughs> Joy Division. Yeah. Joy Division. Yeah, she yes, plays the, the partner of the main character from Joy Division. Uh, and yeah, just nice to have her here. Um, Daniel is sort of stressing about things. He starts getting blow up balloons and is trying to figure out that was one bit that was weird as well where he just drops a balloon for some reason all the time in their beautiful apartment can i just say as well very nice oh my god how how is he like tenured are you like are you a best are you maybe he did sell a lot of that book pinker like how many books have you sold she's winning an award for art so maybe they are Mm. quite well off she's a sculptor they did have that spare day to just go to the countryside great contrast to obsession where everyone has four interests and none of them matter, where here she has her profession is sculpture, which is very clearly the antithesis to his 
overly intellectualized pursuits of theorizing. And he very explicitly says in one scene, my problem is I've never made anything in my life that you can hold in your hands. And her whole thing is making things with her hands. <laughs> that's how you do character interests and Man, imagine imagine and a film that's better than Obsession. Hard, hard to. This one, <laughs> this one might have, this one might have squeaked over the line. Um, and Reese uh, calls him up, and to begin with, out of the blue, he gets a phone call. And to begin with, it really seems like Reese is just engaged in what I thought was the pursuit of the movie, which is making sense of this balloon accident. He yeah. says, what was that all about? You know, I'm like, well, yeah, what was that all about? But only the beginning of that conversation, like pretty soon in that conversation, he it you he's like, what is this guy talking about? Well, then it becomes clear that he is across the street in the playground. Yeah. Which is quite strange. I'm um, just outside, mate. And he's and he's and and he does a really great creepy performance he does Risa fans is very great in this film so he so his character is someone who has a form of sort of i, th- I believe i read it's called like erotomania where or dis- what's it called the actual syndrome there's a name for the syndrome i liked erotomania fun to say isn't it it is what's your superhero name erotoman <laughs> <laughs> i am man man with the strength of two men <laughs> uh, it's just called Erotomania. <laughs> but it was called Declarambeau's syndrome, which is a more Ooh, that's very French. More sort of French romantic and name. Understandably for it, a French where a French thing. Someone develops this sort of delusional disorder that someone else is obsessed with them. And it's apparently more common in young women, normally with men from sort of higher social statuses, you know. So, like, so if I was to develop <laughs> Declare and Bow syndrome <laughs> about Daniel Craig, I would have to assume that he is very invested in me and what everything I'm doing. Okay. Which, you know, not outside the realm of possibility. Definitely not. He is a very respectable man who would be very nice to you and take good care of you. He'd probably be, he'd probably be faintly interested. I'm a pretty interesting dude. Yeah, you got a mustache now. Yeah. Welcome back to Sam and Isaac develop Declarambeau syndrome. <laughs> and so So he turns up the, it the conversation over a series of a few scenes that Reese Fans is believes that Daniel Craig has fallen in love with him and yeah. is leading him on. And it's horrible to watch. <laughs> it's so uncomfortable. Like it's done very well. It's, yeah. But it is so uncomfortable because no one finishes a sentence in the conversations. Yeah. Like Daniel is trying, to, like it's clear that Joe yeah. is trying to make sense of it and like understand what the guy wants. Yeah. But he will not finish a sentence and just keep yeah. saying in the name Joe all the time. The ways in which they kind of half communicate and half address what's going on over hard. and over again such that... And and that sort of perpetuates the feeling which you're meant to have, which Joe is having, of going mad because you you are you can't break through to reality or get get at what is really when going someone on. won't. And Reese does such a good performance as Jez. What a shitty Jed. name! It's Jed. I like to call him Jez because Daniel Craig screwed it up once in the film and called him Jez. Yeah, you signed it as Jez. Yeah, I love that. I would I not correct it. Um, uh, he is a like 
malignant, threatening force in the movie, yeah. but it's all judo. He is like submissive and passive and Daniel Craig can walk away whenever he wants and but he but it's like a boa but constrictor. He will always be there. Reese and is just gonna always be there and every time He was in the background of so many other scenes. Yeah, the art gallery. The art stuff. gallery is in there. He walks out. Yeah, so it's, it's like you you don't it doesn't look like he's attacking, but every time Daniel Craig inhales, Reese tightens up and he just is crushing him over the course of the movie. And it's, it's so intense. horrible to, to be around. It's really good to watch, but it's so yeah. hard. Um, um, so yeah, th- yeah. That, at that gallery, there's the more of that sort of existential horror where you sort of this like zooming in on the fruit, and, and it's everything's un- uncomfortable. Um, and you just you get to see Daniel's sort of like falling apart and losing. Mm. He doesn't know what he's thinking, and from someone who's an intellectual person who would clearly have had quite a grip on himself. Yeah. To have that, it puts a strain upon his relationship. Yeah, and she and they they have a dinner at the friend's place. Yeah. Oh, is that with a? Well, there's the dinner with a brother where he says he's got a he's having an affair with their sort of Polish babysitter. The one who he talks about for like five minutes about how beautiful she is. And yeah, and it's so, and this is where I started to get a bit. Confused she turns. With the movie. She stops traffic when she crosses the street. Yeah, that's like. And she can't speak English, and I he's just like guy. talking like, about it. He's such a. Does the way in which he's like clearly, subtly, just got a real different vibe to their friendship group? But like, well, it's her brother, so he's got to. He's got to be here. But just oh, <laughs> he's the stiffler of the group. Everyone is just like, this is not what we're about With as no a friendship group. Like, yeah, um, you're talking about the chick. I can't understand you. That's great. There's the scene where um, Daniel, some Craig, and Samantha Morton are sort of talking about kids and marriage, and there's that thing going on of, yeah, you you know. Like Daniel Craig here is like thirty five. Mm. Why aren't you guys getting married? Or there's something hold that's been holding your relationship back from going through these kind of stages. You're not really sure what it is. And I started to get confused a little bit because Daniel Craig is initially conflicted about what went on with the balloon. And that's one thing. But before that But that's really kind of separate from any like Reese Ethan's Jez, he he doesn't exacerbate, or I can't see a way in which he exacerbates um, Joe's concerns about the balloon event. He's really just like this other horrible force in I their think lives now. The fact that he about him because he because he comes from the balloon event. Yeah, I think because the balloon event triggered the fact that Risa fans is now obsessed with Daniel Craig and is always there. It would always be reminding Daniel Craig of the balloon event. I and guess. And you can't get this guy out of your mind. You can't get him away from you. This event will always haunt you now. Okay. But I, I couldn't And maybe that's made more clear in the book. Why um, Joe couldn't more affect... Like, he seemed to be really unnerved by all of Jez's implications that you know what's going on, why are you leading me on in this way, why yeah. do you keep doing all of this stuff, to the point where I was like, is is at least this, the text is this of the gonna film... Is this going to flip around and show us something else? Well, is this implying that Daniel Craig, that Joe, does have some either um, like sexual confusion or some doubt, or is it just doubts about his relationship or... And I don't, and I don't like that. I don't. Partly I, because... I didn't get that. And this is going to sound mean and weird, but if Joe in the movie <laughs> does have 
any degree of perhaps unacknowledged same-sex attraction. I don't feel like Reese Ifans would be the one to unveil it. No, <laughs> especially not with that haircut. Not with that haircut and teeth. Like no, they gave and they, those clothes and those clothes. They gave him explicit like fake bad teeth in the movie. <laughs> so I don't. It doesn't make sense that this like this isn't. Dean Pelton's Dalmatians. This isn't going to be <laughs> stirring anything up for Joe, surely. But that just seemed to be how Daniel Craig was playing it. That well, I no, I think it's just I can't just tell you to fuck off. He does though. He tells him so many times but, to leave me alone. But they don't. But yeah, he, yeah, he tells him to leave him alone. But the romantic aspect of Jez's connection goes unsaid for a really long time i I, I and that's what annoyed me about jed you need to make like as that for from joe's perspective you need to make bring that to the forefront so you can get rid of it but he seemed to dance around it and be so freaked out by and avoid it in a kind of the lady doth protest too much kind of way but that's what jed did as well like every time he gets to talking about anything he would never mention what he's talking about. He just said, mm. "Come on, don't deny it. You know what I mean. Yeah. You know, you know. Just say it. Just say it." Do I really have to spell it out? Exactly. Like, yeah, he never really mentions good it. Good script, and in it's that way. so annoying. Yeah, it's like so yeah. hard to watch. Like yeah. it's just. And then just the lunch off, scene bro. where you get to see fucking Rick Grimes. So Andrew Lincoln shows up. He's like his agent. I got. This I think sense. he's just a friend. Or his... just hanging out. Well, no, because another another teacher. Because it's a restaurant. Though. Well, no, because. At- it's a restaurant like at the Tate Gallery, yeah. and Andrew. But uh, Andrew Lincoln's character is saying, "We need to get you on TV." Okay, so we or maybe his his publisher or something like that. Like I feel like he was someone who's helping him in his career. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and Reese. But wasn't he talking about the balloon at that point though? Um. No, no, no. no, no. They were just DC's just sort of whining about how he doesn't feel like he's really done anything useful in his yeah life and he and and he's sort of so he's he's sort of hinting at a kind of he's moving on a little bit from the potential balloon. yeah or sort of like arrogance and he's like yeah i think what i do is kind of important enough i need to be more sort of famous and on telly <laughs> and talking about it completely understandable daniel completely understandable that's where you, you need do to deserve be. to be on television you are britain's best actor. cool music through the There's whole sort film, of Hitchcockian high whining. It sounds like a high fantasy th- theme. I listened mm, to the kind of. to the credits. Like I put the credits on again while I was driving here, just to listen to the music from the film again. Oh yeah, it's awesome. It's like so good, and not yeah, it doesn't so it doesn't go creepy where it could for a thriller film. There are parts mm-hmm. where you can feel the music, like yeah, this could be creepy, but it's not. It's mostly in like majors. Yeah. It mm-hmm. and it's just high piccolos, just being soft and like wistful. It feels mm-hmm. like the soundtrack you would give a fantasy movie, like something about Lord of the Rings, like mm-hmm. horse riding through forests and stuff like that. It felt quite sort of classical to me. Like it felt like an older movie. It did, music and it score. was awesome. How that was just such a juxtaposition to this is just a very modern film and a very small film. Yet mm. you have this massive orchestra performing this music all the time. <laughs> There are very few yeah. moments of the film that don't have yeah. this sweeping music going through Sort of it. playing out the epicness of what he's experiencing. Exactly. Even though and like the, the, the only moments that are not subtle. musicalized are massively emotional for the character. Mm. Every, every time he's just existing, music is just bringing us through that yeah. all the way. And it's 
Yeah, which is awesome. which is interesting because the first scene has no music, mm. and then it's sort of after that you can never you you never come to a rest because every scene is sort of buoyed along by this sort of driving m- melody. Mm. It's the not whole time. a fast melody; it's just no. always there, mm. just like his fear of did he let go. Did he let go first? Constant. Always there. Background. Also always there because Risa fans is always fucking there. Always there. Outside the window. So yeah, they're in the restaurant having lunch with his agent. And it's he a regular a big... regular day. And then he just notices Risa fans is literally there. sitting at the next table. Oh, it would drive you insane. It's... I couldn't tolerate a stalker for a second. It's... I would lose it immediately. So I'd probably weird. kill them. Like I'd do something <laughs> like awful and regrettable. It's... So uncomfortable. Yeah. And then Risa Fans starts talking weirdly to him, and he stands up as though yeah. he's going to yell at Risa Fans. Doesn't yell. Mm. Risa Fans is already like terrified yeah. that he's going to get hit. Yeah. And it, I, I like that sort of. I felt this film had a real sort of maturity in the way it could generate just the sense of high stakes just from social situations. So the mm. fact that the restaurant goes quiet, like you're just so on edge about. You're him. waiting for one of them to snap. Yeah, and you just feel Daniel Cre- Joe's character giving, and you get, like giving ground by what he's doing all the time, even though nothing like, like big and dramatic and flashy is happening. Like, oh, don't you're do ready that. for Joe to snap yeah. and like be like, mm. like lose it a little bit, but yeah. he doesn't. He keeps himself restrained for so long when mm. you just get so frustrated with the Risa fans character gaslighting him into yeah. sort of like believing he's done something and wants to know like it's just so frustrating yeah he's just just because reese fans is so passive and Mm. he's just sitting there looking at you it's so weird it's just a it's like a chinese water torture it is it is approach and then making bloody classroom scene yeah well so that's a a little bit later so daniel goes to he goes to samantha morton's workshop which is you know really liked really like sort of sickly green and blues and there's all like the noise but of the kilns and things well and off. all her things that she he makes and she suggests he should and sh- trying to show the ways in which he's still trying to connect to people around him and sort of normalize the situation and stay connected to his own sanity and she's mm. saying i'll talk to him or you should go see a counselor or things like that um i also like that lots of gray in a, in a thriller teal and yellow lots of teal and yellow in this in a thriller or like a classic hollywood version of this film he wouldn't have told anybody about the stalker for a quite a long time mm. but very early on he tells her about it like oh, just this dude was here yeah what was he calling about like i don't know he was just like there and he's always like everywhere yeah and that's a very realistic reaction to it yeah and that's and that's like what makes a good horror movie like a, ho- a horror horror movie where if you make good decisions as a character yeah you watch you tell this. people not to go into the dark room yeah and you're like yeah i would have done what daniel craig did yeah and i would have been just as messed up by what <laughs> ultimately happened and so so then he sort of tries to his response is okay i need to try and understand more about this balloon event and so if he decides to find Helen McCrory, the wife of the mm. guy who died. To do that, he has to go to the newspaper's office to get the hard copies of the newspapers to read the news stories about it. 
rather than just looking stuff up. Because I Cause guess it's, it's 2004, 2004. You don't. And I guess still maybe even the then, the internet wasn't in England at this point. No, it hadn't hadn't reached there yet. Yeah. It was working its way through the a- states across across the. They were they were laying that pipe under the Atlantic. It started in California. It's making <laughs> its way through some of those flyover states. As soon as it hit New York, it was straight over to us. Um, <laughs> And Helen McCrory, obviously doing a great job, as she always is. And she, she, um, she a- reveals that the her husband's car, her, the doctor was the man who got out of the car to run to the balloon. Yeah. And she reveals that in the car was a picnic made for two. So she believes that her mm. husband was having an affair. And a scarf with perfume on it that she doesn't with wear. With rose water. And I see, and I I loved this because I felt like it, again, I, like there's two for my money. There's two movies. They're both great, <laughs> and the balloon movie would be a lot of this kind of stuff where where he's trying to figure it out and like he's trying to figure it out with that guilt and we're like, oh, it's terrible that you know this poor innocent man died. And then there's this suggestion of was he having an affair? And his widow now saying he was scared of heights he would only have done this if he was showing off to someone so yeah he died but he did it to show off to this woman he's having an affair with and that tilts the ethics of the whole thing again like Mm. it's just these great sort of like micro adjustments you make to these ethical dilemmas that you know people can you know talk about on reddit till the end of time i like all that all that's great that's a nice little twist but that is fun but doesn't affect our Mark, it, 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 it's i like that they put it in there and mm. it's a very realistic thing like yeah this is she's going through her own shit right yeah. now her husband's died and maybe yeah. it turned out that he's been cheating on her for a little while yeah there were lots how of would you handle there. that i like that she didn't have shoes on and she was she's doing like living at home doing the nervous dishes foot acting that was good and then daniel could revisit the field for a second and does some thinking and whatever as you would uh and so and he's so now we're sort of seeing that he's basically becoming depressed. His crisis is really having an effect on him. Yeah. And then we hit our sort of. Then Samantha, his partner Samantha Morton, decides I'm going to make a nice meal. Obviously, like we're going through a tough time. She decides I'm going to. She makes a sort of seafood thing. There's candles. They wear nice clothes. They're trying to eat this meal at, at home. Um. And he just sort of can't really do it. He can't really live up just even to that sort of simple moment. And there's a lot more of that sort of phenomenological stuff where there's lots of loud crunching of the batter on the food. Yes. It's just it's just eating, eating sounds and clinking of the cutlery and no one's talking. Yeah. And so it just makes it look unappealing. And it's 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 hard to concentrate on when you're hearing that. You're like, mm. Yeah. And the editing is very smooth there as well, where like you can't really your eyes can't settle on anything either. It's just like we're not sitting and eating a meal. We're unsettled the whole time. Yeah, and she picks up on it eventually. She's like, "Okay, fuck this," and just dumps that. Like he doesn't want to finish the meal. He can't. Like their relationship is deteriorating. Now. Yeah, and this shows it very well. Yeah, and um, she just basically cleans the table in a huff. Yeah, and so then the midpoint of the movie is well. This is the, the this is like the second where, act climax. Yeah, well, just in terms of runtime. That's, yeah. I, I, that's just my thing now. I just see what happens in the movie in the middle of the runtime, <laughs> just as like a discussion point. The middle of their runtime is the next scene where Reese shows up at the swimming pool. 
to see Daniel and his swimmers because obviously understandable and Daniel's like okay right fuck this let's go to the cafe which is what Reese was suggesting originally he's like can we talk at a cafe and Daniel's like no no just fuck off and now Daniel's like okay right let's go to the cafe Daniel gets nothing Reese gets like all this shit gets watermelon it takes so long and they finally sort of have the conversation that Daniel if they'd had at the beginning he could have sped this process up a lot (laughs) and it and then Jez is being really weird. Now he's being kind of callous about the guy who died and just is all over the shop. And then he's saying, God's love passed between us in the field. <sighs> and my favorite, so this is my favorite line of the bit. He says like, yeah, so God's love passed between us. We are we are connected, blah, blah, blah. We're in love or whatever. And Daniel and Joe says, um, oh, f- for fuck's sake, you're mad. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, people said that about Jesus at one point. He goes, yeah, they also said it about a lot of mad people. <laughs> yes, this is the energy you need to win in this situation, Then You'll need more of that. Um, um, and Jez has his whole, he basically says, he's, you know, read meaning into this whole thing that means nothing. And he says, we were all brought there um, God did that to bring the guy who died to God and to bring us together. Um, and Daniel starts smoking in this scene and smoking becomes a bit of a motif, a sort of a symbol of his further, like smoking and alcohol sort of become more prominent as he, as, uh, as, as yeah, he becomes as he more deteriorated. Loses his and, state. Th- and so at this point, Jez just starts talking about how he is talking to him with his, with the curtains and it becomes completely apparent that, oh, okay, so you are just a insane. mad stalker who is t- thinking insane things all the time, and we need to get need rid to of you. need to stop that from being a thing. Yeah. See, and in a way, I thought I was, whilst that's fine in and of itself, that's when it became clear, oh, so this isn't really about the balloon stuff. This isn't really about what does the balloon mean or anything. It's about just been put there, and what does life mean, and and like the his discussions about meaning and his lectures and stuff. Like I love all of that, but that well, well, let's put that on the back burner. Let's get rid of this stalker. Later on, it comes back a little bit with Daniel's um, fighting with the grief of and the guilt of did he let go. That's brought back again later on when you see character development of him after the event that happens towards the end of the film. But at this point, I think it's now you leave the balloon behind and you concentrate on the current. Because I think the other the way, current problem, the other way in which they're sort of different is, well, like the other problem with it for me is, it's not made clear that there's anything particular about the balloon event that made Jez connect to Joe. Jez seems like someone who could see God's love passing between him and any Anybody. old person. Yeah. Jez never says, ah, oh, but because of the balloon, But I kind of like one. that you don't get to see why Jez decided that Joe was the one. It was just that they shared that one moment alone next to a dead body where they prayed. I would like... The randomness of it would add power to it in a thriller movie. Yeah. But when you've got this balloon thing, I want it connected to the balloon thing. If it was just the, the Jez Stalker movie, which would also be great... That would make it scarier that it's so random, like or you just looked at him on a train and now your whole life is destroyed. Yeah. But the fact that it was this powerful event with this with that like gruesome prosthetic corpse they made, that should have come back a bit. Yeah. Um, but you know, whatever. Whatever. Uh when does he come to the classroom? 
That is in a little while. Um, wow. So after that scene, um, then it's the scene that then it's the dinner party at their house with the brother and the Polish the Polish guy can't okay. speak English, and Daniel is just getting drunk and just sort of becoming belligerent and and he's not involved in the conversation at the start. Yeah, and he yeah. gives his sort of talk about uh, about love and says it's not physics, it's biology. When we're in love, or we think we're in love, we do the things we do to ensure good breeding. He said, but we're just stupid organisms, meaningless. I don't know why we fucking bother. And and is that ne- that's the only time in the film he says those words, isn't it? Well, it's kind of an extension of the theories he's been discussing earlier, in class earlier on. Um, but and to be honest, because later on Reese says those specific words, like you said. Love was like he 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 gives that speech later on. You said those things. He does. Yeah. So does that mean that Reese was then outside at that conversation? Could have been. It might be in his book or something. Could be. Um, I'd like to think that Reese was outside during that conversation, taking notes. And I and you know it's very easy for movies to be quite sort of sophomoric in their use of. You know, it's all just biology, man. You know, it's all just evolution, man. We make all these cultures and morality in the government, but really, you know, man, it's all it's all just science and you know, man. Uh, but I think this manages to do it in a slightly more articulate way. To because he's in British accent. Because it's an English accent, <laughs> which makes anything sound more legitimate. <laughs> no, it was. It's God, it's just good, um, and that and and yeah, and that scene's obviously sort of horrible. And then, and and then they go to bed later that night. He's pretty drunk, and Samantha Morton says, "Do you have any idea how mad you sound to like to normal to normal people like me?" Yeah, and so he is being pushed more and more out on this limb of you. You know, you're mad. You're being seen as mad. You're being thought of as mad. You are being sort of you know, cast out from this, you know, the environment in which you've been comfortable. Um, then Reese or Jez shows up in his classroom. And sings. And DC is doing something that if I've, if well, I say that, I have taught classes. If I took, the next time <laughs> I teach a class, I would like to do that thing where you make all the class sit there and you walk to like the back quarter of the room and just stare out the window. <laughs> in silence for a couple of minutes and then just make them all sort of wait and look at you and just look like you're thinking about something and then be like okay <laughs> what's it all about you know <laughs> then start teaching and it's very, see if you can get it's everyone very to be dead like, poet society though he's thinking <laughs> you gotta let him be ready and Reese is there, and he starts singing oh, God Only good... Knows. Oh, that's the song. And it's so horrible. And Daniel has lost And he all... sings terribly. Uh, yeah, and Joe has lost all capacity to rationally or calmly handle the situation. <laughs> and let's say it, the, um, the more upset you get in this situation, the gayer you look. <laughs> Not there's anything wrong with being gay, but the more like a closeted gay person being confronted by your you know <laughs> partner or secret partner the more like that you look the more upset you get 
and he just wraps himself around that axle completely in this final part of the movie. <laughs> he grabs Reese. They leave the room. He's like, I, he says, I, if you come near me again, I will gut, gut you, you like, like a, a fucking fish. <laughs> Great line. Great line. But then Reese, brilliant judo move, is just as upset back at him. It's like, how dare you do this to me? Why are you giving me all your secret signals all the time? Like that would be so disorientating to confront. It's just like it's, it's frost. It's it's chilling to sort of witness. So um, it's that night though that Daniel does the googling. Isn't he it? finally fig- he finally remembers Google and he starts googling stalkers. Yeah, and then he starts trying to regain control of the situation, but in a way that only makes him seem more mad. Well, he realizes he that starts- the curtain thing is a thing. Yeah, and he basically starts doing like red wool between pictures, and <laughs> and he can see him out the window, and he and Samantha Morton won't even come and look. Yeah. So they are now in completely divergent realities. She's like, whatever, mate. You're just off your tree. Which is real cool. And now he's just completely alone. So. And then the next morning, he's in her workshop? Yeah, he break, He sort of goes into her workshop where it seems like maybe he's not supposed to be. Is her workshop downstairs, though? Uh, yeah, I think it, it doesn't. Is. It doesn't feel like he's gone anywhere. It's just the next morning and he's down wherever she yeah. makes her art. And he finds a sculpture of him. Mm-hmm. And she'd always said that she wouldn't sculpt him. She didn't want to do a sculpture of his face. She's sculpting Bill Nye earlier. She says she wants to be his lover, not his, not have him as a subject. Yeah. So it's kind of indicating the way their relationship has changed. She has made this sculpture. It's not great. He looks like the Unabomber. <laughs> but whatever. <laughs> yeah, he does. And then she comes back and she just says it's over. And DC does one of his signature moves, which is smash everything up when you're really upset. That is a signature move? It's a signature of the Roger Michel double bill. <laughs> in the last act, Daniel Craig smashes everything. But in this one, you get to see Daniel Craig's character's development to the point where he smashes everything. True. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and in in that scene where he was drunk and being belligerent, that's when he revealed that he was going to propose in the field. And that was the other important <sighs> thing. Because there's that tension of when are we going to get married? And this whole time was like, well, I was going to, but then the balloon. So. Ruins everyone's lives. Yeah. So again, so the way the balloon everything. has affected them, I'm more, interested in, I'm more interested in the way the balloon affected them and the way... Risa fans is Jez effective. influences them yeah. and they're kind of different things like the alternate version of this I would like is this movie is an ensemble and it's about the four or five people that held onto balloon. the balloon and how it affects all of them yeah and one of them is Je- um, Joe and his relationship deteriorates and just like you know what about those other dudes who were there like, one of them could be the Jez character developing a stalking thing with somebody, but it's not the Joe character. Yeah, maybe. And just and sort of cut between those storylines, and at some point they all come back together to try to form that'd meaning out of good, it as a group. That'd make a good broad church. Like yeah, a little like ten-part series. Yeah, a little series about, mm. about them all. Because that opening is so strong. It is very strong. And there's themes, and there's so many themes going on there. That's, I, you know, I, yeah. like, so I'm sad we don't have that. Even though what we have here is a good sort of different. So different she calls version. it over. He chucks a tanty and grabs her on the hand for a little yeah. while. 
and well, he, he gets the ring out and he forcibly puts forces it on. It on and her so finger. he's being kind of well, he's being violent here, and that sort of freaks and she her says you're out. hurting me, so he stops. Yeah, and he's so he's now doing things he wouldn't have thought he would have ever done. Then he does a bit of detective work and he finds Jez's apartment. Oh, I like the bit where he runs out in the rain though, to, across the street to the park. It's raining where he's seen Jez all the time, and he's, he's just like, yelling where at the street. Are you? Yeah, and then Man. he calls. Anytime the, someone like turns 360 degrees in the rain yelling where are you in the movie it's a good point it's it a is. good moment it is except when it's like a michael bay thing and like shit just got real and the camera goes around them while they're also spinning around like oh, yeah, three no, the, times the camera has to stay at the same level on the 360 it can't rise <laughs> at while the sun sets behind them shit just got real and it glints just off their skin <laughs> Um, and Daniel Craig's all upset. So he calls the wife of the deceased guy to get the I'm information. Not entirely, I'm not entirely sure how he figures it out, but he finds Jez's address. He gets, he, gets Je- he comes to Jez's place. And he goes in there, and you'll never guess. It's all mental, and he's got collages and pictures. He's got a, he's got a fucking shrine. Lots of crucifixes. There's lots of Christian imagery throughout it. It's like he's it. insane. It's almost like he's bloody mad. What are the chances? Daniel Craig starts smashing it up, signature move. and then Saying fuck off, like fuck off, fuck off, fuck off at a table as he bashes it. And then Jez is there. <laughs> so great. And you just want Joe to beat him to death. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you shouldn't, but also do it. Um, and and Jez is all like, you're just like me. Yeah, and I thought this was put sort of the, one of the strongest elements of it where I feel like now we're finally getting at what is going on here other than just something horrible happening to someone who doesn't deserve it. Yeah. And Jez says, you're just like me. He said, I'm just trying to help you because you're just like me. And He's Daniel's like, how, like, how am I like, like you? you? You're real lonely. Yeah. I'm real lonely. Said, I'm, I'm lonely. You know what that's like. Like, yeah, but. And so that's worth thinking about. If Joe's character is someone who's lonely, why is he lonely? Because he's been in this relationship. And he was clearly ready to propose yeah, that's so a big step in a relationship why does he feel i think it's another just a, it's just alone. another thing that risa fans is like putting onto his dream yeah like it definitely could be that i think and i think because risa fans dreams only started since the balloon so once joe now is affected by the balloon and has spent so much time on his own and like trying to deal with this and not being able to communicate with claire Mm. Risa fans reads into that being like man Joe's so lonely he's trapped in this thing I think yeah there's definitely that version of it if you wanted to I think you could interpret it as if Joe's character is lonely it's sort of like an intellectual loneliness where where he can't like express everything he needs to express to people kind of express that but also he like he's interpreted the world as meaningless um but he's kind of alone in seeing it that way mm. where he sees that like, there's no meaning, but what we give to, the, and there's sort of this larger scale meaninglessness of like life in the universe doesn't have an ultimate meaning. But then this, this movie is the story of this smaller scale meaningless that comes in where what the words we say to each other and what we think about situations, if everyone thinks something different, then the meaning of that breaks down as well. And that is, ultimately more intolerable for him than this white than this more sort of universal philosophical meaninglessness he's always sort of yeah. ascribed to but then and then with both of those 
he feels like he's the only one going through it because because all the other characters in the movie are like no love is just love and don't even worry about it mate like bill nye and those characters they're clearly not engaging in things in that in that same way the same so, way he is yeah so you if you wanted to you could interpret you could. that way because i could because that does give joe's character pause it when does. Joe says, I'm lonely, you know what that's like, he drops the thing he's holding and just sort of leaves. So it, it hits some sort of chord with him. With Joe, yeah. That makes him go away. So that makes me sort of think twice about it. And then, it's not just his, it's not just Jez's swirling mania. Jed just starts to beat his head against the wall. Yeah. And Joe... <laughs> Whatever reason. Goes to a lovely empty pub and drinks and smokes and talks to himself. Yeah. Which... I think Daniel Craig likes to do just quietly. I think I think who doesn't like to drink and talk to themselves? I think turn of the century Daniel Craig would love just a quiet moment in a pub by himself, having a couple of cup, punching a couple of darts and having some beers. <laughs> yeah, I could see it. He'd like he, I, you know, I'm sure he's gotten a handle on it whilst being Bond, but there was some smoking going on in those early days, especially, and he tries to sort of hold it back, but that's a man who smokes. Yeah, it's a man. I'm Bond, <coughs> James Bond. <coughs> he walks around in the rain. He's all upset. He goes to Bill Nye's house. He spends the sleeps night on there. their couch. Wakes up all ruffled. My favorite thing there. The evening before, Bill Nye's holding their baby. Like it's his granddaughter. I think they've got the baby. Okay. And um and some and the the woman calls him and Bill Nye goes, "Oh, I'm coming. Hold this," and hands him the baby. <laughs> Like, and then they're like grown out a little bit. Hold this is a great thing to say <laughs> when you hand someone a child. <laughs> hold this a sec. Anyway, he wakes up the next morning. <laughs> um, Bill Nye says, "Do you want like coffee, cereal, rusk?" <laughs> so they this really nice sort of light, like comedic moment to put in for those characters. Like, yeah, it shows that they've been friends for a while because we felt like we were hitting rock bottom quite a while ago in this movie now, and now it's like quite a while later. Like a yeah. lot's happened. We're like, oh, we're still here, and then the climax happens, and it takes a long. T- it's a very long climax of a film. Jez is at the apartment with. Claire, Samantha Morton. Joe hears this and is like, Jesus Christ. He runs. Music comes in for the running. Because he's very rationally thinking he could kill her. Yeah, very rationally. see her as an obstacle to our relationship. (laughs) So he bolts across town. Yeah. And there's all this sort of like, whatever the shot is where the camera's strapped to the head of the person as they walk along or run and... He goes down the stairs, drives, and it's all blurry. Doesn't call the police. That's my only problem. Yeah. Call call the police days ago, if not weeks, and then <laughs> definitely like call them now. You Keep would. them yeah. Yeah, you go there anyway. Keep, go there. And then but be like and I'd call you go. call the police from Bill's house and then you head on over. And they're sitting on the couch together. And He's in a bathrobe. Oh, it's so covered in bruises. Yeah, and it's just it's just like nightmarish now. Where yeah, but it's jazz it, it, has like a bright morning climbing yeah. through the thing, and there's just that's what makes it so horrible that it's all like it's like hiding in plain sight. Yeah, like this is all just happening, and there's obviously nothing I can do about it because the it, like, it's it's ten o'clock in the morning. So if you can't stop it now, it's not like a serial killer coming to a cabin in the woods. Yeah. this is my house at ten in the morning, and they're <laughs> on my sofa. <laughs> What the hell do I do about this, apart from call the police? So he comes in, 
and sees the bruises. And then Jez explains basically to Claire, how could you, like, well, he says to Dan, how could you beat me like this? Je- yeah, and You could have oh, killed me. Like, can't imagine anything worse. He has convinced Claire that he and Daniel have been having a lovely affair. And like now, like d- the the audacity <laughs> to be Reese fans with fake bad teeth and a bad haircut <laughs> and to claim that you have been in any kind of romantic relationship with Prince Best Actor Daniel Craig. Like, <laughs> my God. With the Adonic Specimen. With, yeah, with the best of us. <laughs> <laughs> DC. With the human. The with, original human. <laughs> <laughs> with the blueprint for man, with, as established in the symbolism in the first scene of this movie, Adam. Mm. It makes no sense why she would believe it, So, which is, is why Daniel goes, and you believe this? Well, no, I, I, I kind of believe it. The way their relationship has deteriorated. Yeah, but... And their communication has been so poor for so long. Like, you know... We like had it's this horrible. lovely message where he'd opened the curtain. It meant so much to me. Yeah, and just Dizzy can't it's see so a way to communicate his way out of it. So he just says, and fuck then, this, and goes to pack his bag. Yeah, which I thought was I thought that was good. That's like power move. Yeah. You've got to, you've got to, you've you've got to go big, you've got to overpower. This is the thing that's been coming up. Remember I was telling you about that podcast, um, I think it's the Scaredy Boys. Yeah. Where they're watching horror movies. Um, I've listened to a few of their episodes. I'm just listening to the ones about movies I've seen because I don't want them to spoil it. Um, but there's a bit in each of their episodes where they talk about how do we get out of this situation? Uh-huh. Like what's our theory? And they've done enough of them now where they're evolving like their standard plans for how to get out of them. And like, <laughs> like so, and one of them is now like, so as we know, will one go big? <laughs> Like serial killer, ghost demon, always go big. That's your only hope. Go big and go go big early. That's how you get out of these situations. <laughs> like that's very true, and I feel like that's what DC on the right go back at go back at Jez. Like okay, right, fuck you. I'm I'm leaving. Like I don't care about. Fine, let her believe that. I don't care about that. Yeah, but and that freaks Jez out, and he comes running into the room because Jez thinks he's gotten power by convincing Claire of this. Yeah, and so when DC says, "Okay, I don't care that you've done that," Jez realizes he's losing control, <laughs> and Jez comes in and immediately like flips. He's like, "Why is this fucking bitch?" But here loudly though, like yeah. loud enough that you know she's hearing so every Claire's bit of like, this conversation. Yeah, I guess, I guess kind of. And um, he's like, "Oh, she's such a manipulator," and she he yells at like mm-hmm. how manipulative she is. Yeah. I'll handle it. And he, grabs and, a kitchen knife, and so, and the way this is shot is brilliant. Yes, again, it's using the same sensibility as the balloon scene, where completely unsensationalized. Not at all. Where yeah. he stabs Claire in the abdomen, but it's just like a throwaway thing. Where the scene is rolling along quite naturalistically, and just like, okay, right, screw this, and just grabs a knife, turns around, stabs her, turns back around, and keeps talking to Daniel Craig. As it's if that didn't happen. So. And so it's breathtaking. It's, yeah. It's, just, it's hard. It's mm. like. He just stabs of, her in the gut. You hear her scream. Yeah. She falls to the ground. And he just continues the conversation while holding in the knife. And that point, Daniel Craig is like shocked okay. and standing still. Like, <laughs> yeah. what the fuck do I do? In the same way at the beginning, the balloon 
comes into frame when the shot is on Daniel Craig. It's almost like she gets stabbed in a shot that isn't focused on her. The shot is focused on Jez. Yeah. And she gets stabbed, but then the shot follows Jez as he like takes a step away. So then you are, what the fuck was that just there? Yeah. And so that that makes it more powerful by not shoving it in your face. Yeah. I love that. Um, And and she is bleeding. Like she just collapses and there's just a big old pool of blood. She's got that gut shot. And... Well, yeah, the thing is, if, yeah, the thing is, okay. <laughs> okay, spoiler alert, she lives. But if you bleed, like, if you bleed that much, I mean, I'm no trauma surgeon, but I'm pretty sure if you bled that much immediately from an abdominal stab wound. He's hit something very you've important. You've hit the aorta and you're done, mate. <laughs> like, either you've just hit bowel and you'll be alive for hours. Or you've just drunk you've, a whole lot of red wine and that's what he's pierced. You've hit the aorta <laughs> and you've got like five minutes. <laughs> anyway, and so and then DC and Joe like reads the situation well and he Calmly, does quickly. the perfect thing. Yeah. And he basically says, okay, all right. You've done it. Well done. We can be together because of our deep and eternal love. Just give me the knife. And he and Jez come together very slowly, have what I'm prepared to call my least favorite kiss. <laughs> it's so pointlessly loud. And Risa so fans moans through the whole thing. And like sloppily, there's multiple, like they French each other. It like is it's not so, uncomfortable. So he's trying to. Trying to act as if, yeah, okay, to get close enough to him to, yeah. to get the knife. And I was a little bit confused because I didn't see him get the knife. No, they didn't show you it. But as they're kissing, Joe stabs Jez. Mm. And and you just hear, you don't see Risa Fan's reaction to it. You just hear him moan <laughs> as he falls over away and from camera. So good. Because I'd forgotten how it ended, even though... I'd read the book, so I didn't know what was going to happen. My worry was, because Claire looks really dead, mm. she's going to die thinking he they were together. Yeah. Because she's watching them make out. She's not going to see him get to break character and win. She's going to bleed out watching them having the grossest kiss ever. <laughs> because... <laughs> Because it's, it's so, because it's so tense and sloppy, <laughs> and oh, it's just and it's and it is the whole screen as well. Like their faces <laughs> fill the screen, throwing like, oh, this is like like worse like with a stalker. Worst case scenario, can I just say? <laughs> worst case scenario the is one. you have to make out with them whilst your partner is dying. It's so bad, um, but. Joe gets in. Gets, gets the upper hand, stabs him, and runs it, over to Claire. Awesome little bit of slow-mo. You know what I loved as well? De- he, Jez falls. Joe doesn't go down to Claire, goes to the phone. His first move is to the phone, dial, 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 and then he kneels down and puts his hand on her back. I'm like, great. Smart. Yeah. And, that, you know. That is filmmaking. It's not a requirement for characters to be hyper-rational in every scene, <laughs> but when they are... Because it improves put, things. Well, just like the simple, like I think the simplistic way is, oh, he's upset because of his girlfriend. Like, no, but what if he's upset? So and he wants to save a life. <laughs> so he's like, let's get an ambulance. He's finally realised dialing emergency services is a thing. Could have thought of that an hour ago, Daniel. Anyway, damn it. Sorry, Joe. 
Joe. Daniel would know. Daniel would never have ended up in that situation. Daniel, Daniel wouldn't need emergency services. I wonder if he's ever had a stalker before now. You know, it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, Sarah Marshall's well on the list. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Maybe she's dropped off since the book was published. In 2007? 12, I think. Oh, okay. No earlier. No, it was 2007, I'm pretty sure. We've talked about it many times. Pause, 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 pause. Eight? This edition was published in 2011, Ooh. but originally in 2007. Bam. So this has been updated in 2011. But good memory. Um, than mine. Yeah. Mine is fried. And then it... It's like a sieve. Fades to black. You don't know that she survived or what's happened. And He's called the police. And then it's... The field again. Several times. A, a while later, back at the field with the wife of the doctor who deceased and, and the daughter. And it's... And it's just like her husband who died with the balloon, he had given a lift to this couple who wanted to keep their relationship a secret. So it was their picnic and scarf. Mm. And DC has figured this out somehow. And No, DC hadn't figured it out. He's just, oh, maybe he had. Well, no, because he would have brought them there to talk to her. Yeah, and he's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Because you the stay, wife just listen to what they've got to say. And he's like, just hear what they have to say, and then they and they mm. come over and reveal. Like, why do you have to do that in like the most dramatic circumstances possible? Take them back, back to the place. Like, I get that it's nice. The movie ends in the field again, and again, this was a good example of like this is a really great scene from a different movie because this has the, nothing the to do with the conversation that he has with the kid though. That's my that's I like the conversation where he walks along with the with the daughter and he says like, "We all let go. Your dad was the bravest." He didn't let go, just to comfort the little girl. Yeah. And I think that's a good culmination of the guilt story. It is a good culmination of the guilt story, but what's happened in this movie, I don't understand how that would get him anywhere close to that. To that point, yeah. They don't explain it. The whole thing with Jez would he be like, okay, so Jez is gone. Now what do I do about my guilt, about this balloon thing? Like, they're completely <laughs> separate, and that's kind of um, Or they're not made. they're not made clearly enough to mean the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's revealed that Claire is alive. She's got a walking stick because of stabbing. They have a little conversation. They're <laughs> not together still. They're, they've separated, but she's alive. And Daniel wants to tell her that he still loves her, but she's like, and then she says, don't say anything. And that's the last line of the movie is don't say anything. I like it. Which I think I would interpret as a comment on he's this sort of hyper intellectual, you know, writer, lecturer person. His reproach to the world is to talk turn it, it into words, talk about it, intellectualize it. But And hers there are is some, to show. Hers is to either sculpt or but or acknowledge that there's some things that we actually cannot understand or interpret or talk about. There's something like the horror of the balloon event, but also in a way just the ultimate sort of nature of the world we're in. And the, after that, the final shots are just like shots of the trees mm-hmm. and the forest and the fields and birdsong. And there's that. And I, to my reading of that is would be that it's just showing you sort of the implacable, silent, not, not um, malicious or or evil but just just new the, the neutrality of the world in which we live that will sometimes present you with things that don't mean anything and you need to con- reconcile yourself to that that's where we started and then that's where we've ended 
And then it's followed by a little mid-credits scene. And then the weirdest mid-credits scene ever. Of just Risa fans still alive in an institute somewhere, furiously writing a letter. Which is like an appendix of the book. It's like, by the way, he went to a mental hospital and he stayed there for ages and he's well mad, mate. And I Hashtag sequel coming. God, I wanted him dead. Me too. He I wanted just him died. Just I want I wanted Joe to just stab him ten times. Like just keep going. That's defense. If I had a stalker <laughs> who'd done all that and I got to the point where I had stabbed him. I'm chucking another couple of stabs in there, mate. Like this end. You just accidentally end up putting it again one more time somewhere where it's much more dangerous than the first one. Uh, Like, like just, 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 just to the left of the sternum there. Well, here's what I'm saying. Once it goes in, I'm wiggling it around a bit. (laughs) It goes in, and it it suddenly came upwards as well. Like, I'm just in the moment. I just happened to (laughs) refit up about ten inches, and I don't know why it happened, but anyway. But this, that guy's chest is now open. I would be like, this This ends today. <laughs> so this episode ends with me talking about how I would murder someone. Kind of like that other one where I said how good I think I would be at political assassinations. <laughs> All right. Just trying to get on a watch list. You we know. liked this film. We did like this film, didn't Where we? do you want to put it in the list okay. of films? Let me bring up our rankings. As people may or may not know, we are not ranking Daniel Craig's movies individually, like out of five popcorns or whatever. Imagine if somebody did that. It doesn't matter what you call them. Like It's just out of five, you know? Like People come up with, oh, out of five movie stuff. You've got to be original, though. Like... It, I give it five. Po- is that like single pop- uh, popped corn or boxes of popped corn? It doesn't matter if the numbers are the same. <laughs> That's my point. But instead, what we're doing is we're creating an overall ranking of Daniel Craig's movies from best to worst. This is our fourteenth film. Bam! So, bam! I will start going through them. Isaac, do you think this movie is better than? Yes. A... Okay. Is it better than Love <laughs> yes. and? <laughs> is it better than A Kid in King Arthur's Court? Yes. I Dreamed of Africa. Yes. Hotel Splendid. Yes. Lara Croft Tomb yes. Raider. Sharp Seagull. Yes. The Mother. Yes. Big Call. And is it? Just so crazy that Daniel Craig and Roger Michel's second collaboration would be their strongest. <laughs> um, Elizabeth. Yeah, I think so. The Paré of Un. Yep. Of Un, I should say. <laughs> <laughs> the Trench. This is where I'm okay. Now we're now we're, so we're up to the top three. Yeah, we are. Top three: the trench, some voices, road to perdition. I would like to put this above some voices. I feel as though we got much better Craig in this. We got such good Craig, and so much of it. And it's in the top five hundred movies ever made. Some voices ain't there. Well, we don't know. We haven't looked at the list. We haven't. Elizabeth would be. I don't think it would be. I think the Elizabeth road to perdition would, would be. be. Elizabeth is definitely an Empire stop by the way. Are you kidding me, mate? I could Google it. Damn, that would take so long. You'd have to read the whole list. Don't. I'm not. I'm not it's Googling it at all. Um, do you want to put it above phone. or below? Some voices. Do you think it's better than The Trench? Let's start with that. It's better than The Trench. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 
It is, isn't it? Yes, it is. And we've got our apples and spaceships problem here, but yes. I think it's a better film than The Trench. Yeah. Different. Different. I think it's more technically made. It's different. Yeah. The 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 the, the trench the music. The, the trench pacing, is a war film with not one action sequence. This is a drama film that has an action sequence that's really really good. Yeah, that balloon scene. That's more gonna... people die in this movie than the trench. I mean, a lot of people die right at the end of the trench, but you don't get to see it happen. Yep. Number two. Number two? I'm happy with that. Yeah, but you don't think it's better than? It's not better than Road to Perdition. It is not better than Road to Perdition. But. But it's the number two. I don't know, but I think Road to Perdition, Road to Perdition is skating along on star power a little bit. But well, it's, it's still Tom good. Hanks, man. I know. And Tom it's Hanks great. is doing a lot of heavy lifting there. Uh, but okay. Enduring Love, number two. The second best Daniel Craig movie he made. So his that's it's kind of his movies are getting better. They are getting better. <laughs> like there is a there is a correlation between recency <laughs> and their ranking on our list. Um. Yeah, it's just it's just confusing because I just I do have big problems with it. The film. But it's, As but it's in like, that it's trying to tell two stories at once, or that it could have told two different stories. It's two really good films combined, and I don't like the way they're combined, but I'll just have to live with it. Well, do you know what cool, the cool, 500th cool. greatest film ever made was? I don't know, Isaac, and neither do you, because you weren't looking it up. Ocean's Eleven. <laughs> <laughs> I would not have guessed that. <laughs> Wow, so I guess 12 and 13 are out <laughs> of the list. Yeah, they would not be in the list. No. Interesting. Clearly the better of the three of them. God, my, oh. But my, that's, that's, where, that's where it starts. Ocean's Eleven is a good film, but yeah. that's where the 500 greatest films ever starts. We're going to get to this. I'm just going to sneak it in every couple of movies that so, we review. <laughs> yeah, so I can believe Enduring Love is above that. Elizabeth is definitely up there. I think that's all he's got on this so far. I'll take this as homework and let you know. Yeah, yeah. I'll let you know what when we come across them, I'll let you know what Daniel Craig films are in in that. Yeah. Cool. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. Thank you for listening, everybody. Uh, if you have been enjoying I've got to change this up. Y'all like to tweet? Yo. Y'all be tweeting? Mm. Get up on that Twitter with at exceptional pod. We, I'm tweeting movie images. I'm tweeting f- trivia. I'm tweeting quotes. I'm tweeting all sorts of shit. I'm hitting your own microphone. I'm hitting my microphone because <laughs> I'm moving my hands in order to talk. Um, we have a Twitter account is what I'm saying. And we so are. do I. At S underscore Brookfield. <laughs> if you like tweets that are sort of like academic related and like, oh, academia, am I right? And also like public health. I imagine there's a big crossover between our audience and that crowd. You know, I don't think there would be. Then if you just like, oh, this Sam guy, what a cool character. Let's get more of him in my life. Check that out. What about the platform known as Instagram? On the Instagram, you can find the show at Exceptional Thieves. You can find me at Samuel Brookfield. And you can find you. Isaac Tibbs. 
at Isaac Tibbs, two A's, two B's. Definitely follow him, interact with him on there, make him feel like he's being watched and people are monitoring his social media presence, encourage him to post more, encourage him to post some photos of the official cat of the podcast, Rufus. Haven't seen or heard from him for a while. Is he alive? Has Isaac eaten him in a sort of COVID isolation madness? Sorry, insult in what? What? In a kind of, uh, I don't know. Okay, cool. I don't even remember what I said. <laughs> um. <laughs> I like that that's a thing, that we don't explain it all, that we just don't talk about what's happening in the world right now. There's a few things on this show that if you haven't listened to earlier episodes, you will feel left out and probably not come back. <laughs> um, I haven't mentioned this for a couple of episodes. You can send us an email <laughs> at exceptionalthieves at gmail.com. Do you have suggestions? Comments. What is your favorite Daniel Craig movie? Mention that on any of the platforms. Yeah. Uh, we want to know. On Apple iTunes, a little rate and review is very important. That helps Even if us it's a bad one, discoverable. All news is news. Hit us with those one star reviews um, and tell us how we could improve this. Would you like accents? More sound effects, like boing, stuff like that. If you give us like pointlessly crazy reviews, that would also be nice. Yeah. I would like a three-page story about the shoes that I'm wearing right now. Yeah, that'd be good. I'd like something in Elvish. That would be kind of cool. If you um, can write Elvish. Then please do so. And <laughs> please try to ignore how much I ridiculed that at the start of this. That was just all in jest. Um, you're actually like... If you pal- love Daniel Craig enough hey. to have listened to our podcast and are also someone who speaks fluent Elvish... We would love to have you on the podcast. Yeah. Let us know. Ask, yeah. Anyone out there, you want to come on the pod? Any person who listens to this podcast who wants to be on the podcast, let us know. Yeah. I mean, what are we going to do? Say, no, we have someone else on that week? <laughs> we um, will make time for no, you. By all means. I, I didn't mean to make fun of Elvish. Let he who has not listened to many, many hours of exploring Lord of the Rings sentence by sentence cast the first stone. Yeah, me. We have a Patreon account, <laughs> patreon.com forward slash exceptional thieves for all of our bonus episodes coming out at least every two weeks. At least. At least. Sometimes the same as two weeks. Very rarely is it earlier than that. Yeah, yeah, that's about, that's a, that's about it. And we really appreciate it. Thank you to Ryan Sim for our artwork. Thanks, and Ryan. Means what? Means good, man. Vivisectors. Vivisectors. The vivs, the viv boys, as we like to, as we like to call them. The old secties. Um. The secties. The vsex. Hang on a second. They Russian. They is. You know that's gonna be really hard to take out. Soz. The vivisectors are a psychedelia surf band originally from Russia, but have recently relocated to Brooklyn, New York. <laughs> the band has toured the U.S. East Coast yearly since 2009. That's badass. And finally decided to spend a bit more time in the States this time around. They started out as a solo project of its founder, <laughs> we don't have to read Mike Vivisector Antipow, and has since grown to a four-piece tight-knit ensemble that includes Ivan Antipow on bass, Artem Upurev, and New York native Mike Costarella. The Vivisector's music can go from slow, dark, doom tunes, reminiscent of the gulag tunes of Mother Russia, to in-your-face metal-sounding rock and roll that gets the audience pumping its fists. 
Best of all, it's almost all instro, so no translations needed. The music speaks for itself, and it may even yell on occasion. That's a little bit of vivisectors information I've gotten from the internet. If you know the vivisectors, if you're in the vivisectors, please get in touch and let us know if I'm using your music legally, because I'm still that's still really a grey area, <laughs> and I'm prepared to be told I'm wrong. That's enough, isn't it? That's enough. Right. We've, this one's been a little long. See you next time. Bye. I may be humming that the entire way home.